0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul Casey, and joining me today is a brand new guest, okay? This is somebody who I met in 2017 at the Lost Con. Fantastic guy. Why don't you introduce yourself, sir?
1: Hey, well, thanks for having me, Paul. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, My name is Dan Toy. Um, Yeah, as Paul said, we met at the Lost Con last year in Hawaii, which was amazing, Um, yeah, and we just kind of hit it off and started, I remember there was one night where we just kind of talked at length in the hotel bar, uh, just about a ton of different lost things with some other people. And, uh, that moment I was like, oh yeah, these guys
0: will be, uh, you know, good
1: friends for a long time. So, um, yeah, I'm super
0: excited to be on here and thanks for having me. Of course, you were one of the one of the very first names when I was going through people. I'm like, okay, you know, and this is nothing against anybody who's been on the show. But, you know, it was getting to the point and some of the the regular frequent guests have said it as well. They were like, oh, we want to hear some new people. So as I was looking through, I'm like, oh, one of the first people I have to ask is Dan. And uh, I I, I think it's funny that you pointed out something that tends to be a recurring thing with many of, of our losty friends. And like you said, it's how we got to know each other a little bit was at the hotel bar and there. That tends to be a thing with with a bunch of us. It's, you know, we, we all get to really know each other over a lot of drinking in Hawaii.
1: <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely true. Lots of drinking, lots of Lost talk. My Ab- two favorite things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, of course, as a first-time guest, I have to ask you, how did you get into Lost? When did you get into Lost? And how did you find out about the Lost con, Lost 2017?
1: Sure, yeah. So um, I got into Lost before it even premiered. Um, so yeah, I mean, my earliest memory of it is honestly just seeing the trailers for it. And I remember ABC really hyping up, you know, like the the first minutes of the show, you know, the plane crash and like the production budget. Um, so yeah, I was just, you know, I had no idea that it would be such a mysterious sci-fi leaning show. Um, I just saw this like, epic plane crash, and, you know, it looked like a huge ensemble, and just looked really interesting, um, like nothing I had seen before on TV, um, especially, you know, at the time it premiered, I was younger, and, you know, TV hadn't reached its golden age yet, quote-unquote. Um, so, yeah, I just saw these trailers, and, uh, you know, I had it set uh, on my calendar or whatever to to tune in, and so I remember watching the premiere uh, live on September twenty second, uh, 2004, and just kind of being blown away by it. Um, Yeah, just that first, you know, the first 15 minutes or or so of the whole plane crash um, was just epic and amazing. And, you know, at the time, I was just like, how did they do this on network TV? Um, It was just kind of mind-blowing to me. And then, of course, uh, by the end of the the two-hour premiere, I was just, you know, hooked with, you know, the mystery, uh, the characters. um, All of it was just incredible. Um, I remember specifically... Um, the biggest moment to me, which we actually just talked about before uh, recording, uh, was the moment where uh, Boone and Locke dropped the flashlight on the hatch. And that was before its first hiatus, if, if I recall correctly, um, its first long hiatus ever. And I just remember just over those, whatever, four to eight weeks, however long it was, just being obsessed with this show and kind of going back and picking apart those first few episodes uh, detail by detail. And that's when I really... Probably my obsession with this show started. Um, you know, I was intrigued. I was I was excited about it. But it wasn't until then where I was just like, like oh, this is my life now. <clears throat> and I was excited about that. Um, so, yeah, that's when I kind of started going on forums and uh, just, you know, talking to people online about it. And, um, yeah, from there it was history. Um, also, my, my biggest claim to fame, humble brag, is that I never missed an episode live, which I'm very proud of. <laughs>
0: So you're, you're an OG. You're actually, uh, somebody just pointed out the other day, you're a little bit in the minority of, or maybe, I don't know. I've never actually thought about it in terms of the lost with friends sort of community that we have here, because there's many people who have been watching since day one, or at least, uh, in terms of like some of our friends over in England or anywhere else, like they watched it basically as soon as it premiered for them, which was a few months or a year or so later. Um, Right. But then there's people like myself, uh, Kevin, uh, a few other people who didn't get into it until very late uh, seasons, four, five, six, whatever, or even long after the show was even over. So I find it I always love knowing when people got into the show. But like you're like an OG, like you were there from like before, like you said, before the show even started.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think about. Um, you know, I have plenty of shows in my life where I don't start it until, you know, after, especially nowadays where we have so many reviews of shows coming out. Um, there's, you know, no lack of talking about shows. Um, you know, I'll sometimes wait and see what critics say, what, you know, people are saying about the show before I even give it a chance. Um, yeah, at the time it was just like, I don't know, I was in middle school or high school or something and I was just like, well, there's nothing else to do and this looks cool. So I'll watch this. And, uh, yeah, that's how I kind of got started. And yeah, it's. Um, I also find that it's very different uh, if you're an OG watcher or, you know, waited till later in the seasons. Um, I've met a lot of people who, like you said, started, you know, season four, five or six. Um, and they almost always say that, you know, they started from the beginning and just like binge watched all of it and then started watching a week to week because they had to find out. Um, and then there's, you know, other people who just binge watched the entire show after it was over. Um, although I find fewer people like that because I feel like the finale did, uh, you know, had such a strong response to it that people just kind of ignored the show if they'd never watched it before after that, which is sad. Um, but yeah, I feel like most people did the thing where it was, you know, three or four seasons in and then they just kind of binge to catch up. Um.
0: That was how I was. I waited. I mean, it wasn't anything on purpose. It was just a matter of I had seen it. I've talked about it several times. I had seen the fact that, you know, it was getting very high ratings. And that was when I was very much I've been I've watched television my entire life. I always joke that TV raised me and my parents hate when I say that. (laughs) Um, But I always joke that TV raised me. But it wasn't until I was probably in. Late middle school high school when I started realizing like oh I would love to write for TV one day that I really started to like watch um, subs shows of substance let's just say as opposed to I mean like I, I mean say whatever you want about like friends like I've watched friends most of my life but. I mean, it's a show of substance, but that was maybe like the first one I ever watched. But then there Mm -hmm. were other shows that came along and I was never really like into them, into them. But Lost was like the thing that got me hooked into watching like TV hardcore. I needed to watch every episode. I needed to know everything I could. And of course, that that basically fits into most of the shows that I watch now some of the shows that people hear me talk about often I'm that way and it's because lost set me up to be that way but I didn't get into the show until right before season 5 and I get boo- one of one of our friends actually you know who uh he wasn't in 2017 but he when he heard that the very first time he booed me for that because he was like how dare you get into the show late but you know <laughs> it was just a matter of I I had seen it on, you know, many of the year end lists and I was just finally I was like, you know what, I'm going to I had read a little bit about it, trying not to spoil myself. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to give this show a shot. But like you said, a lot of people, it seems only when it's like us who are like hardcore fans recommend it to people and try to talk people into it. I've noticed are people more likely to say, yeah, you know what? You have such a passion for it. I'll give it a shot versus people who, like you said, have just heard, Oh, the finale and how polarizing it was. And then they're like, yeah, no, I'm not going to give that a shot. Or they, they think they know how it ended. So they're like, I'm not going to watch that stupid show.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's always interesting. Like, uh, I'll always do my best to try to talk people into watching it no matter what. And I've been somewhat successful with some friends. Um, and, you know, they they go through it, and most of them, you know, have no problems with the finale or think it's fine. Um, but, yeah, I just think that's really interesting. It's, you know, I would never boo anyone for watching it late. Um, you know, it's like my personal humble brag, which I'm proud of. But, um, yeah, I mean, the way you watch it I don't think matters except for uh, – I think my experience might have been a little different only because – Um, you know, I was on those forums as it was airing and that added like this whole other level of, you know, not just watching, but dissecting the show. That was really cool. And, uh, you know, I still have friends on Facebook and online who I met, you know, on the fuselage and other forums that were huge at the time. Um, which I just think is really cool that, you know, I don't think any other show did that, um, or has even done that today, uh, with the same degree of intensity that Lost did, um, So, yeah, it's always interesting to hear people's thoughts as they binge watch because, you know, they can uh, just fly through the episodes, you know, unpack the mysteries, whereas, you know, others like me were kind of just waiting and agonizing week by week. I think that um, kind of made my love for it so much stronger just because I had this connection that was, um, you know, over six years long, uh, just every day kind of pouring over every detail, which is really fun.
0: I, that's that's one of the things I've talked about that several times with with some of our friends who have said you know uh, you know binge watching versus watching it when it aired, and uh, I always say I, I mean. I am a little jealous of the fact that I didn't get to watch it live but then there are certain ones where things happen and especially even when I'm re-watching them and I'm just like I don't think I could have handled this. I probably (laughs) and maybe this says this says a lot about me I think but I probably would have given up on it I think if I had to wait week to week especially in some of the early seasons maybe even season 3 which is my favorite season. It contains some of my least favorite episodes ever recently covered actually on this show but it contains some of my least favorite episodes but in this season I probably would have stopped watching if I'm being completely honest if I was watching it live interesting and uh do you
1: say that because of those bad episodes or just like oh this is just going off the rails do you think you'd feel that way had you watched it live or is another reason
0: it's partly because like the episodes were bad but it was also because like and I actually bring it I bring up A point to it for uh in the episode we're going to be discussing which is by the way for everybody trisha tanaka is dead because we haven't actually said that yet um (laughs) but uh in this episode there is a rehash of a previous uh story that they did and this is not the and i've actually pointed it out previously this is not the first time they've done this but yes, yeah, so how did you how did you find out about um, lost because here's the thing, okay, here's my question. you're an OG lost fan, right? You're on all the the forums and everything. I remember uh, I don't know if I've ever told this story, but I remember at one point um, because uh, when I got into lost, I didn't I wasn't necessarily on like message boards or anything like that. There was there were certain people that I started following on Twitter because I started reading certain reviews, things like that. That's how I found um Joe I always mispronounce her last name. I want to say Garfine, but I'm not 100% sure on that. And I'm I'm so sorry Joe, if you're ever listening to this. Um, but I found some of her stuff. Joe Pinionated. I found some of her stuff and i started following her on twitter and and things like that and then i started following other lost accounts and like i would live tweet myself with season 6 but i never like went and li- like read other people's tweets it wasn't really until after the show was over and i went to rewatch it the first time that i got more into certain people who were fans of the show and whatever but i remember uh I want to say maybe 2010, it had to be 2011 or so, Joe posted that she was organizing or something to do with the first ever, you know, unofficial fan convention. And I remember showing it uh, to like my mother and a few other people and I'm, and it was going to be in Hawaii. And I'm like, I want to go to this no matter what it costs. I And so I had like three years to save and I eventually did. But so I got to ask, man, OG Lost fan, how'd you not go to 2014? How'd you end up at Lost 2017?
1: Yeah, so um, I honestly can't answer why uh, or how I found out about LostCon. I have no idea how I found out about it. I run a, a very small like little Lost fan page, so maybe it came up in like, you know, the Facebook algorithm of, like, things you might be interested in or whatever. Um, I just remember seeing it somewhere uh, and, you know, immediately joining. And so I had found it. Um, it was either, like, late 2013 or very early 2014. Because um, I know I was in the group for a significant amount of time before it actually happened. <clears throat> and same as you. I was like, I need to do this. Um, I want to do this so badly. I need to go to Hawaii, um, etc. And, um, you know, I just, I had joined too late and I didn't have time to save. And it was so frustrating because I was like, oh, this is like, you know, the coolest thing ever and I'm going to regret it so much if I don't go. Um, but I just started my new job and uh, I just really couldn't do it uh, based on time off and money. <clears throat> and so, yeah, i not going to lie. I was like very depressed and sad afterward, you know, seeing everyone's pictures and hearing about it. I was like, damn it. Like, this was my... You know, my dream. You know, is my bucket list item, and uh, yeah, I didn't get to do it, but
0: um, see now I feel bad rubbing it in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm 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 super happy. Like anyone who could go, you know, did. Um, But you know what? Like I I think it might have been almost better because I had three years after that to save up because you know they very quickly announced like we're gonna do it in 2017. And I was like, that's perfect. I don't have to wait till 2020. Um, I have three years to save up and plan. Um, So actually, you know, as you know, I stayed there for about two weeks. I got to visit Maui as well. Um, So it turned into this, like, really nice personal vacation uh, in addition to Lost Con. And I don't think I would have been able to do that, you know, had I gone in 2014 as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm still bummed about that. I wish I had been an OG Lost Conner as well. But um, you know what? I think I'm going to be good from now on. So every Lost Con, you know, I'll be there.
0: It was. I mean, it was really great. And I don't just mean this because you're on the show. You can ask some of our other friends and even people. If if I were to give you like their number or something, you can ask people who uh, aren't even Lost fans. When I talk about this most recent time, I, I do talk about like some of the nights that we were there. And like I, I mentioned that you know you were there for quite a lot. I'm like, oh my my friend Dan. He he lives in New York. He's a really cool guy. You know. And I'll tell certain stories about like nights that you were there because I actually do remember um, the. I, I got your name wrong the first time we met. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, we were having – there was a bunch of us having dinner uh, in the Hilton's restaurant bar area, and I put it out to the to the Facebook group, and I was like, hey, you know, we're having dinner here, and I believe you said, like, hey, you know, uh, I'll be down or whatever, and I'm just like, yeah – And Dan comes to sit and he's just like, hi. He's like, are you Paul? I'm like, yeah, Dan Troy. And he's like, toy. I'm (laughs) like, oh my God, I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) First time I'm
0: meeting this guy who's a fantastic guy. Like I, that was my first meeting with him and I got his name wrong and I felt so bad about it.
1: Oh no. Like, trust me, everyone like toy is such a simple last name that people feel like they have to change it or add something to it just because it doesn't make sense to them. (laughs) Uh, so trust me, you're, you're not the first and you won't be the last. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, lost 2017 was such a good experience and, you know, I've heard 2014 was also amazing. Um, one of the cool things though, um, I know people met a lot of awesome people in 2014, but, um, I kind of liked how 2017 was smaller, um, just because I feel like I got to meet everyone, you know, like even if I didn't spend a lot of time with certain people, um, that was just because, you know, we only had four days to talk to each other basically, um, but you know, I, I, felt like I got to know someone, uh, I got to know everyone there, um, you know, fairly well. And I think that's cause it was smaller and, you know, a little more intimate, which is really cool.
0: It was, it was a fantastic experience and it was, you just, and I get this, this sense, even when I'm just like talking with fellow losties and basically anybody who's listening to this show, I think will completely understand what I'm saying. There is just a sense of like a community and a family there like when you're ju- i don't know i don't know if it felt this way i mean maybe uh for somebody who was there for the first time maybe it was because i had been there once already i don't know for me like every time that i was with it didn't even have to be uh in any of the like locations but just any time I was with any of the people even if it was a group of you know old friends and new friends like that night that we first met uh, anybody who watched the vlogs that I put up on the uh, clock shelves youtube channel you could see that night that was the night that the waiter was doing like little tricks for us and things uh just that night alone even with new people having joined like our little group i just felt so relaxed like there wasn't a single moment where like I got in my own head like I normally do. And I'm just like, you know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's new people. I have to like be on my best behavior or or I have to do like, I was just like, you know what? I can just be myself around these people because they're just like me. They're fellow lost nerds. They're, they're just like me. And they're, we're all here for the same reason. And I don't have to like walk on eggshells or anything like that because like, these are my people absolutely yeah even as a first-timer I felt that immediately you know like uh
1: you know you putting that message out there like oh we're here if anyone wants to grab dinner I was like oh you know like new people social setting I'm like wait a second I'm here in Hawaii alone like I want to meet people before the actual event starts and like you said we had a great time and yeah that sense of community and family was there immediately and uh yeah it felt great and Um, yeah, it was so cool to meet so many awesome people right away.
0: Okay. So as we said, uh, we will be discussing the episode, Trisha Tanaka is dead. And, uh, this one, I've gotten feedback from several people that they are not necessarily that big on this episode. I don't see why it ticks almost every box for me. I think the only thing it, it just doesn't have Ben Linus in it. So, mm. like, that's one of the only drawbacks, in my opinion.
1: True, yeah. It has a different Linus, but but uh, we didn't even know that at the time yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, overall, like, I remember this episode distinctly. Um, and it was just so fun and, uh, I don't know, inventive. And, I don't know, this is one of those episodes where, you know, you could probably erase it from you know, the lost canon and you wouldn't lose too much of the overall mythology, but, um, it's placement in the season and just, I don't know, it's just a joy to watch. And every time I still get a kick out of, you know, Sawyer and Jin and Hurley, like all of them are just on the top of their like comedy game. Um, yeah. So for that reason, like, yeah, it's definitely, uh, one of my favorites and, yeah, I don't know, who could who could say they don't like this episode?
0: <laughs> See, I actually, I, what you said, I actually would kind of disagree. I think that this one actually puts a lot, maybe not into the mythology of the show, but just the the story going forward, I think. And I, I put it in a few notes as, as we go along, but I think this one plays a huge part in the next several episodes of the season and just even setting up things that we find out, like you said, the Linus thing and all that sort of stuff, things that we, uh, the fact that, okay, let me just run down a few things and I'm not trying to be like, Dan, no, no, no. Like I'm just, just, yeah. Uh, okay. So we find out there's the Dharma van, the fact that they were building more things on the Island. Dharma was, uh, Roger, of course we, you know, we find out he plays a huge part in, Not in the show, but in other characters' lives. At least one other character, Um, we find uh, we find out a little bit more about Hurley's uh, past. Kate goes. Kate and Sawyer come back. Kate goes to find. You know, she's like, okay, I'm gonna go find Jack, which basically leads them on their adventure over the next few episodes. You know, and like you said, they're on their comedy game. Like it's gold. Uh, We see Charlie you know, trying to find out more information from Desmond, he doesn't get anything. But I I think this one, I don't think you could erase this one from from the canon. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah, I, I see
1: what you mean. Yeah, I guess I in my head I think of it as the, you know, Hurley and, and crew start the van episode. Um but yeah, you're right. There are, you know, when I rewatch this for for Lost with Friends, um, yeah, there are a lot of moments that kind of uh, as a segue between what we've seen before and you know what comes after, as you as you mentioned, um, yeah. So I guess I guess you're right. It does kind of kickstart these new storylines um, you know, that lead up until you know the season three finale, um, which is interesting. Yeah, because they're they're all very disparate. And like you know, the Hurley Van story is the one that's kind of like the through line, the a plot of the of the episode. But yeah, there's all these little things with Kate and Sawyer and Locke um, that you know pay off in a huge way in the next few episodes
0: absolutely all right here we go let's do it we start out in a flashback while shambhala by three dog Night is playing and i won't lie i work in a grocery store and i hear this song at least once a day sometimes even twice <laughs> a day and i especially knowing that this episode was coming up i can't not think of this episode whenever i hear this song not gonna lie right.
1: Yeah, the song is so tied to this episode, like,
0: um,
1: so when you hear it play at your store, does it, like, bring you joy, or do you just want to, like, strangle someone? (laughs) Well,
0: it's funny, because, like, almost every other person, because we, it's, we always joke that it's the same, like, 20 or 30 songs every day, and it really is, it's the same, I mean, you, I mean maybe it's just because I work in the grocery store, so I realize it. But if you're someone who's ever spent any significant amount of time in a grocery store, unless they're playing like a legitimate radio station, it's the same batch of songs every day, just in a different order. (laughs) But yeah, so I'm one of the very few people at my job who doesn't mind the songs. There's, of course, a few songs that sometimes get a little on my nerves because I'm like, okay, this song, I'm not really feeling it today or this week or whatever, but basically all the songs I sing, even if I don't know the actual words, which you think I would, because I've heard them a bazillion times, but I sing along because I read a thing once where it said something about how, like, even if you're in a bad mood or, you know, just whatever, like if you sing, you just you automatically like it's a it's a something within your within your brain that just singing it's kind of like when you force a smile you actually do become happier and so you'll see me in the the middle of the aisle singing and dancing while I'm putting things on the shelves to half the songs like that play. And I mean, it goes from like Shambhala to like hotel California by the Eagles. (laughs) We've even gotten Jay-Z and Beyonce's crazy in love has played sometimes. And I'm just there singing and dancing to every song, almost every song that plays. (laughs) That's great. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it would kind of drive me crazy, but um no,
1: that's a much better outlook.
0: <laughs> so, yes, shambhala by Three Dog Night is playing A Boy Who Will Soon Learn Is Young Hurley takes some tools and opens the hood of a Camaro. His father comes and asks if he has it running, but Hurley replies that he uh replies that he doesn't, but he has the tools set up for his father. The father, David, says they should try to get it started, and Hurley questions that they need a new carburetor. David says they may not. After Hurley gets into the driver's seat and eventually tries to start the car to no avail, he tells his father it's stupid to try without the carburetor. But David tells him that having hope is never stupid. If you believe good things will happen, they will. You need to make your own luck in this world.
1: Yeah, so um, the first interesting thing is, you know, they make young hugo this you know very skinny tiny child which comes back later in the episode um you know it's not just like oh we're just gonna cast this kid and not talk about the weight um i feel like whenever there's a hurley story it's always you know they always have to do something with the weight you know um so i thought that was interesting you know like they they very uh intentionally cast this you know very thin looking child who uh, will eventually be the much larger hugo um but yeah. Did you, did that stick out to you at all? Like, uh... Oh yeah.
0: I mean that was, and I actually, I did put it in my notes later. The fact that, that he even gets the joke Uh, you know, like, oh, I guess your mom was right about those candy bars. And I actually put it in there about, uh, and I'll I'll probably say it again later, but like he says, like, oh, I guess your mother was right about those candy bars. Just kidding. And I'm like, okay, you haven't seen this kid in 17 years and like the first thing you're going to do is make a fat joke. Like, And like you said, that's what they do all the time and uh, Jake and I have talked about it in the past, uh, how you know, we wondered if after a certain point jorge garcia just you know kind of just leaned into it or if he was ever upset because like that wasn't like a fat suit like that was that's simply yeah. jorge himself and if it were me i probably would have been very angry all the time you know like it's just yeah. like stop calling me fat man right you know?
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i i feel like uh his season two storyline when he had to watch all the food in in the hatch <clears throat> that was like for me, kind of like the worst they did to Jorge, (laughs) um, just him like, you know, eating all this ranch and just hoarding all the food is like, oh man, like really? But, um, yeah, in this instance, I think, uh, you know, it kind of works if only to, you know, bring David back and, you know, it's like, oh, he's still like a terrible person, you know, like, um, so in that respect, it's kind of like, oh, you know, this guy hasn't changed, like, As soon as he makes that joke, you know, right away, like, oh, he's here for the money. Like, what else would he be here for? It's not to, like, you know, support his kid or love his kid again. Um, So in this case, I I do think it served a greater purpose, but still is, you know, kind of like an eye roll. Like, really? Like, (laughs) poor Jorge.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I do love the fact that uh, I don't know why. I don't know if I've ever even read a story. Like, I know uh, a few episodes ago... uh, The character of Aldo was played by uh, Rob McElhaney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and how he met Damon Lindelof at something. And he was like, hey, I'm a fan of the show. I'd love to be on. I don't know if they've ever talked about like if there was ever like a reason for Cheech Marin to be cast or if it was just a matter of they were like, hey, you know, we need like a Hispanic actor. And he was like, I'm a Hispanic actor. I'll audition for this part because it's very it seems like stunt casting almost.
1: Right. Yeah. But there's no obvious reason why, you know, there's like, uh, as far as I can recall, like, no, like, you know, weed jokes with him or anything. So it's like, hmm, like, what's the point then? <laughs> yeah,
0: because that's, uh, the, that's the thing. Like, you would think, like, if they're, if they were going to have him, like, they would have done something where you know they would have like made like like you said like a weed joke or or something there would have been or even there would be like a story behind it because I mean yeah like okay he was in like stoner movies and people look you know certain people look down on those but he's a well established actor like he's been around for a long time and you would think if there was going to be somebody like that that there would at least be like some story or interview out there where they were like oh yeah you know we we called around and all of a sudden we got the word like Cheech Marin said he loves to watch our show so we were like oh we got to write a part for him or something like that like there's no yeah. story as far as I know
1: yeah yeah no I think that's really funny um but you know what I, I really like Cheech Marin in the role like he you know like obviously most of the characters have daddy issues and you know Hurley is no exception but um you know he has this like like charming personality and you know he's like you know, very jokey, like, like Hurley is. So it works really well for me, I think. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's like you said, it's just so funny that there's like nothing that exists, like why Cheech
0: Marin? But um, yeah, I think it's pretty good casting overall. Hurley nods that he understands before David tells him that they'll have to put their repairs to the car on hold because he has to leave town for a little for Vegas uh, while he has work. Hurley asks about their road trip that they had planned to the grand Canyon. And David tells him that it will still be there when he gets back before he gives Hurley a candy bar. And it's a glacier candy bar, not Apollo as per usual, which actually references back to an early season two line where Hurley mentions that he he'd never heard of Apollo candy bars. So I did like that. I'm not going to lie. That's cool. Yeah. I actually didn't catch onto that.
1: Um, I did, as I was writing notes, I was like, Oh, Apollo bar. And then it was like, wait a second, that's not an Apollo bar. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's really good continuity. I like that they, that they kept that.
0: And of course it's, it's still, I mean, yeah, it's not Apollo, which is the, you know, name brand candy of lost and many other shows, but of course they have to keep up with the sort of polar bear motif that they have going with this show.
1: Totally. Yeah. Especially how the polar bear like relates to Hurley, you know, in his comic book and stuff.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: But that is, it's a fun thing. Like, I feel like at this point uh, in the show, you know, they're starting to have a lot more fun, you know, with viewers' expectations. Um, Obviously, by the end of season three, that's the ultimate, you know, like, messing with your expectations episode. Um, But yeah, little moments like this, you know, they start playing with it early on in the season, where it's like, oh, we mentioned a candy bar, you know, as the audience, it's going to be an Apollo bar. But actually, it's not like, you know, we're not always going to use Apollo just because you, you think that, you know? Right. Which is really fun. Um, It is kind of like a nice lead up to uh, the season three finale. I,
0: you know, I never even, I never even put that together before. Like the fact that it's like this early on, they were trying to like subvert the expectations. I like that. Yeah, it's cool. Hurley says how the mother or how his mother says he's not supposed to have candy, but David tells him to live a little before picking up his bag and telling Hurley that he'll be back soon and to hold down the fort. And as David rides away on his motorcycle, Hurley watches uh, him go, and Hurley's mother watches from the window, sad. So, where do we think his dad went, or did, during that time? I think he just left, honestly.
1: You think he just, like, I mean, he had his bag packed, obviously, so you think he just always planned to just leave at that moment?
0: Uh, I think so. I had a I had in in my personal life I actually had a, a not exactly the same ex, same experience but I had a, a similar sort of experience. So yeah, I think I, I maybe he didn't plan to be gone or maybe he didn't plan to leave his son without like ever seeing him again, but I think yeah, I think he was leaving the family. Yeah, that's oh, that's rough. <laughs> I didn't mean to bring the show down. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> oh, no. He's just like, man, what about that Grand Canyon trip?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's an interesting moment. And
1: also, um, to back up for a second, uh, the line about, you know, he's not supposed to have chocolate. Uh, kind of reminiscent of Charlotte, you know, next season, which is a funny, you know, probably unintentional little thing. But, you know, I was like, oh, the whole, like, not supposed to have chocolate before dinner or whatever. But obviously, uh, in the case of Hurley, this is kind of like, you know, his introduction to poor eating habits, and then his dad leaves, and so I guess you're kind of supposed to assume, like, oh, the stress of that, you know, uh, that he's going through, you know, kind of kick-started maybe his poor eating habits.
0: Yeah, I want to say, like, his... was it his doctor in... In the in season two, actually meant season one or two actually mentioned that the fact I mean, he didn't say it was related to like his father issues, but he said about the fact that like it's what is it? I think it's in one of the Austin Powers movies. The guy says, like, I eat because I'm fat and I'm fat because I eat. It's a vicious cycle. And right. so like that's I mean, I'm not I don't want to say like Hurley's fat because like that's a horrible thing to say about somebody like we don't fat shame people on Lost with Friends. But like I think that's right. kind of the the thing with that character is like he even the the doctor even says like at the one point he went into a catatonic state and all he did was eat. And I think like you said, that was like his coping mechanism sort of. Totally. Yeah, it was just like
1: you know, we all find ways to, you know, relieve stress. And I think for Hurley, you know, it was to eat and, you know, he found comfort in that. And, you know, that's the last thing, you know, before later in this episode, it's the last thing, you know, he, he knows of his dad is like, here, you know, treat yourself. Here's this little thing. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, psychological stuff going on there that, you know, led to certain issues with his weight later on.
0: Absolutely. Back in the present, on the island, we hear Hurley telling the story of being kidnapped by the others, the fact that Echo died, and how everyone is scared, including him. He's incredibly sad and comments how he's scared most of the time, except when he's with Libby, whose grave he's at. He says he misses her and places flowers on her grave.
1: This is such a sweet moment. You know, it's been a while since we've checked back in on Libby, and, you know, it's it's a nice little reminder that, you know, Hurley's not never thinking about
0: her, you know? Um, what do you, as somebody who watched the show, like while it was like, what do you think about the Libby character? Like we've, I mean, I've talked about it to death, no pun intended with many of the people (laughs) who've been on the show, but I, I always like to get people's thoughts on certain things like that. Like what was, what was your opinion on the Libby character? And even to go a little further, how and possibly why, if you believe the rumors on the internet, she left the show.
1: Yeah, so um, I always liked Libby, but, you know, she was very clearly there to give, you know, Hurley something to do or, you know, to extend his storyline in season two. Um, But, yeah, I thought their relationship was very sweet. I really liked her. Um, You know, looking back at the series as a whole, um, you know, she's not the most fleshed out character. Um, And, you know, I wish she kind of uh, had had more to do, you know, uh, before leaving the show. Um, just because I think maybe the writers planned out like a bigger storyline for her. Um, but yeah, so in terms of the, you know, all the rumors surrounding, uh, her and Michelle Rodriguez's, uh, exits, um, you know, I was always like in my head, like, oh, you know, it has nothing to do with the personal life. Like the writers always had this in mind. Like, I think, you know, one of them even said that in an interview, like this is our story decision, you know? Um, so in my head, it's always been kind of like, oh, I guess they, they chose this narratively to do this. Um, but you know, like looking back, that's kind of like a naive thing to think. Um, yeah, I definitely think obviously their, uh, real world, uh, incidents had something to do with it. Um, if not everything to do with it, but, um, yeah, I think that that became more clear to me. Uh, you know, on rewatches where I'm like, yeah, this Libby thing kind of, you know, didn't go too far. And, um, and I think they, they might've wanted it to with Hurley to, to kind of have him grow in this relationship and, and, you know, have more of a, uh storyline with her.
0: Exactly. It was just, it was so, I mean, it worked for him because like it gave him a reason to be sad, but it was just like, Come on, he couldn't have had happiness for just a little bit longer. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that would have been uh that would have been nice. But um but yeah, I I really like this scene. I think it's like a nice little way to um, you know, kind of keep the audience, you know, abreast of the situation like, oh, you know, if you kind of tuned out or forgot or if our previous stand lost wasn't enough for you, here's what's kind of been going on this season, you know. Um, <clears throat> you know, Hurley's is always good at that. And, uh, and yeah, in addition to that, it was also just a nice little, nice little scene. I also love that shot, um, at the end of him talking to her, where it just kind of pulls out and you see him surrounded by, um, the little stakes and there's like this beautiful tree and sunset. Um, yeah, it it was the first of many great shots I thought in this episode. Um, yeah, I actually looked it up. This one was directed by Eric Lenoville, uh, don't quote me on that pronunciation. but Yeah,
0: normally I'm I'm the one who like knows. I have no idea how to pronounce that one. I've been wondering that for years because I've seen that name in many credits and I have no idea how to pronounce it.
1: Yeah, me neither. <laughs> we'll just call him Eric. Um, but yeah, because he only did um, – on IMDb he only has five directing credits for Lost. Um, but looking at those, it was like The Other Woman, SOS, This Episode, The Brig. I'm like, wow, those are all such – like tonally like interesting specific episodes um which is really cool like i hadn't really uh you know checked that before like which episodes he specifically had directed um but anyway and that's kind of like an aside but yeah i really like a lot of the shots in this episode and that was definitely one of them
0: A bit later, Charlie is on the beach shaving. He cuts himself as Hurley approaches, asking if he's okay. Hurley mentions how Charlie's been very mopey lately, before Charlie says how Desmond told him he's going to die. He mentions the flashes, and that Charlie always dies. After that hurley's silent and charlie says how now hurley should tell him how crazy he sounds and i just i don't remember the words i think he said like daft and things like that but i i wrote as i've mentioned many times he uses british words because we must always be reminded that charlie is british
1: <laughs> true true we can never forget <laughs> never
0: uh and hurley says uh says that it's his fault it's hurley's fault because death finds him And as he says these words, Vincent the dog runs up carrying a decayed arm, the hand of which is holding a key and a rabbit's foot. Charlie questions this before Vincent runs off while Hurley says they must go after him. Charlie says how crazy that sounds. And Hurley goes by himself saying that if he's not back in three hours to tell somebody.
1: (laughs) I love this. Uh, Such a good Ending to the cold open. Um <clears throat> yeah, I just love Hurley's line, Death Finds Me, dude, and then <laughs> such great timing. It's like such a good tone setter for the rest of the episode. You know, this like dark, offbeat humor at the beginning. Um, yeah, I love that. And it, you know, it sets up Charlie's um well, it's already been set up Charlie's story, but you know, kind of takes that to the next level. But um, yeah, we see uh Charlie in this kind of mood, this funk. And um, it's nice to have Hurley's, you know, in addition to to starting the band to have, you know, him kind of bring a, a cheer to to Charlie's demeanor, um, which we haven't had since, you know, basically all of season three. Um,
0: well, yeah, Hurley and Charlie together, like everybody always talks about, like the couples, you know, whatever. I always say that, that they are one of the best couples. They're not a romantic couple, but they are one of the best couples, I think.
1: Totally. Yeah. It's like a this great bromance and, you know, Hurley always is there for Charlie and knows exactly what he needs at the moment, which is great. Um, yeah. And I love that this episode, while it's not, you know, a a standout episode for their friendship, uh, more than other episodes, it does bring that into it a little bit more. Um, you know, we don't just have Charlie sitting around doing nothing, waiting to die. Um, yeah, it's a good little reminder of that epic bromance. Yeah. I love, I love that, (laughs) that moment of Vincent running out, uh, with the arm in his, in his mouth. um, it's so perfect.
0: Yeah. In the jungle, Hurley's chasing Vincent before the dog drops the arm. He then barks for Hurley to follow him. Hurley does, which leads him to finding a VW van tipped on its side and overgrown with plants. And Hurley's one-word response is simply, awesome. <laughs> um, Yeah, this is like the introduction of
1: an iconic lost character, basically.
0: Yeah. Well, wait, are you talking Roger or the van? The van.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Roger is like, eh, he's lower on the list in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, so at this moment, I'm not sure if, like, what Hurley's exactly thinking. Is he just happy to have something to do? Is he thinking about, you know, his Camaro um, back at home? Do you... Well, okay, any... Let me let know. me
0: ask you about that. Like, do you think because I've talked about it with with other people, do you think that the flashbacks are the characters remembering the events and how they're juxtaposed with what is happening to them on the island? Or do you think that the flashbacks, because oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the flashbacks like a sound brings them back to the present or takes them to the past, or they just have this longing look like right past the camera right. that then goes into flashback or brings them from the flashback. So do you think the flashbacks are the characters remembering what happened to them, these certain moments in their the story of their life, or is it just a story device for us as the audience to get that juxtaposition and get that feeling of this is how it relates to something in their past.
1: Mm. <clears throat> That's interesting. Um, yeah, for me, it, it was always a hundred percent. The characters remembering something from the past. Um, Uh, mostly, yeah, for the reasons you just stated of them always kind of looking longingly in the distance or, you know, something they see on the island and it flashes back to something that's like very similar, if not the same thing. Um, yeah, so I, I've always thought it was, you know, them kind of reflecting on something in their past, um, which I thought the, uh, you know, the whole team did really well keeping that up, um, you know, there are definitely moments where it's not as obvious or, you know, you can make an argument that that's not what that is. Um, but I think more often than not, um, they try to connect it very strongly to what the character is thinking about in the moment or, you know, possibly going through emotionally. Um, I don't know. How, how have you, how have you interpreted that?
0: I always, well, okay. This is where I get into where I say that, uh, when I was doing a little bit of research on the show, because I'm very, like I said, I'm very heavy into, uh, before I start any show, especially one that's been established for a long time. Like this one had been established for four seasons. By the time I got into it, I will look at how long it's been on what, you know, what network it's on, who some of the writers and producers and cast and all that sort of stuff are. What's the backstory of how the show came to be. And, and, for certain things, I like there are certain things that I know to avoid, and certain things that I, I like to really dive into. But one of the things, like, I got spoiled accidentally, I got spoiled early on about Ben. Not really being Henry Gale because like there was something where I was reading something and I read about Ben and because I've seen Michael Emerson in other things when I clicked on that article I went oh okay that's him and then when he showed up as Henry I'm like wait a minute something's not right here so like in that case I got spoiled in another case I had seen. Certain things about the show where they talked about the fact that there was flashbacks, which I didn't really understand until I started watching the show, like how heavy flashbacks were, like there's one or two in every act. And so it's like it's like one, say one fourth of each act, which I didn't get until I watched the show, like for real. Right. But then I had also seen about the fact that like they were like, oh, and then at a certain point they started doing flash forwards So then to me, as I was watching it, it was like, okay, and then I I started thinking about it to myself after a certain point, like, okay, are they, like I said, are they watching or, you know, are they, they thinking about these things that happened to them in the past or is it just a story device for us as the audience to relate to something in their past? Because then I thought, well, okay, when we see it with the flash forwards, when they're staring longingly or something like that, are they seeing visions of the future or is that just a story device for us as the audience to relate to whatever is happening on island and how it sort of relates to what's going to happen to them in the future?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, obviously, the the flash forwards and flash sideways are very much more of a narrative device. Um yeah, I mean, in my head, it doesn't bother me thinking of those as a, as a device, but the flashbacks as kind of like a remembrance. Um, but I can also see why you'd want it to be consistent in your head. Um, yeah, because I mean, obviously, they're not looking forward in the flash forwards. Um, I mean, you could argue that flash forwards during season four were like present day, and they were kind of remembering their time on the island, if you want to get like unnecessarily complicated about it,
0: (laughs) which I believe Uh, me, I've had that thought too. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which I think could be kind of cool. Um, and you know, it might be one of those things where it's like, you know, as they thought about the story long term, it just kind of changed for them where they're like, Oh, we need these flashbacks to be really relevant. Uh, so we're going to, you know, have these shots of them looking longingly, you know, thinking about something. Um, and then maybe over time they're just like, well, now we need a new device and we're just kind of Kind of gonna ignore you know what we originally intended um which i think a lot of lost fans are kind of you know scared to admit like oh no they always knew what they're gonna do you know it's like no like they didn't that's okay that's how tv shows work um but yeah i guess for me uh the flashbacks are always you know so connected to what they're going through in that moment that um i've never thought of them as just like a device
0: okay I actually, in regards to what you said about, like, admitting that, you know, like, oh, they didn't have every moment planned. Like, I'm fully on board with they didn't because there are certain things that they've admitted that, such as, uh, and uh, like, Liam, who's been on the show, uh, he and I have talked about it at length, the plans for, like, the Mr. Echo character and how through things on the internet and whatever they've said various things and they've, and I want to say it was maybe Carlton I don't know. It was Damon or Carlton. They said they've always, they always knew like what the final images of the show were, but it was just certain pieces had to be rearranged based on things that happened. And I always took that to mean like the character of Mr. Echo. Like to me, it was always the character of Mr. Echo was supposed to be, Kind of be like the character of Ben was to Locke in terms of like challenging him like with faith in the island and all that sort of stuff. And, and how Ben like for Ben and Locke, it became leadership of the others and faith in the island. And I think it was supposed to be more Locke and Echo faith in the island and maybe something else. That's just my, and that's just my own Opinion based on things that I've read and and the way that I've that I've taken certain things. So I'm fully in the thing of like maybe they were the, the flashbacks. Maybe they were supposed to be, you know actual remembrances and then the flash forwards they were just like okay well we've unfortunately we've established this thing so like we have to have them looking longingly but it's just now it's a plot device versus an actual like looking forward or whatever so I, i mean i could see it from from both ways
1: yeah yeah i think it's an interesting discussion i've never really thought about it too much but um yeah i mean it does you know we got to this because we're talking about the the VW. Um but yeah, it does kind of change the way you might look at certain moments like this one, um, depending on how you see it as a plot device or not. <clears throat> um so uh so your team plot device for everything?
0: yeah. Per, yeah, yeah, because okay. it just to me it makes more sense that if you're, you know what I mean. If if the flash forwards and the flash sideways are a plot device, I'm not saying that like when they're, you know, when when something's. I'm not saying that at no point like it's not okay. To me, yes, there may have been a point when Hurley was doing this, especially because we see him referencing lines that his father said to him. Like, yes, I think at some point he thought okay, this is very much like the Camaro that I had, and I didn't really get to fix that, but I will get to fix this. And, oh, you have to have hope. That's what my dad always taught me. It was the one thing in life that he always taught me, whatever. So, like, yes, I think he thought about that, but I don't think he was there sitting there going you know, I remember that time. And like, then he takes like a sip of, of tea or something. And he's just like, I remember that time that my father came out, gave me a glacier bar and said, you got to hold down the Ford. Our trip to the grand Canyon can wait. And then he rode off on his motorcycle. Like, I don't think he was thinking about every moment in that exact order at that exact time, you know? Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For me, it's kind of like, you know, like quick flashes of a memory, like as an audience, we get to see it play out you know in real time, but yeah, I think for the characters just like within two seconds, you know he sees the car and he's like flashes of his dad leaving, you know flashes of the candy bar, flashes of the camaro, just all like rapidly, just like, oh, but that's his reaction to the car uh is what i what I was gonna get to probably um is that he sees this car, and you know he does remember this moment, and that's why he's so excited about it specifically.
0: Yeah, I like yeah, I would I mean I would agree with that for sure. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, and I think that's just like the most fun way to look at it too. You know, he he's looking for something fun to excite people on the island, you know, things have been down. He says something like, you know, like it's been pretty things have sucked around here lately or something like that. Um so it's not only that, it's also kind of overcoming this, you know, obstacle from his past, which, you know, the flashbacks are there to do for the whole show, basically.
0: Exactly. I actually, uh, in regards to your uh, things have sucked lately line, I actually have a a huge note about that later. (laughs) Nice.
1: Um, Yeah, and then there was one other thing I was thinking about, too, um, in terms of the flashback structure for this episode. um, I'm trying to think of an example. Nothing comes to mind immediately, but this is one of the only episodes I can think of where – the flashback not only, you know, influences the island, you know, what's happening there, not not influences, but, you know, is connected to it. Um, not only that, it's, like, the exact same situation. Like, it's literally Hurley in flashback, you know, not having hope, you know, trying to cure his curse with his car. That's exactly what's happening on the island, which I just think is kind of, like, a funny a funny thing for it to do, where it's, like, not even, you know, being subtle about it, just like yeah, this is like his his obstacle to overcome, and it's exactly what it was before.
0: <laughs> oh, see, you—that's th- funny because like I didn't necessarily think about that like until you said it. But like while you were saying it, my thought went to, and, and it, it comes up in a, a note, like I said that I have a little later, but it's and i've talked about it a few times over the course of like the end of pretty much from the end of season 2 up until this point like where we uh, on this show we've talked about how in at this point in the production of the show they were very much like okay we can't really move forward because they knew they needed to move the story to be the flash Forwards and ABC was like, but you know, they were like, oh, well, we need our end date. And ABC right. was like, oh, we don't do that for shows, like, it's it was unheard of at the time. And <laughs> yep. so, like, to me, like, you're saying that, and like, I it is it is humorous, but like, to me, I'm just like, wow, that's really lazy writing. And that just it, to me, that further proves the whole not want to say lack of creativity because that sounds horrible. Because I think Lost is one of the best written shows, incredibly creative and whatever, but it just seems very much like. Almost. Yeah. You know what? I will say almost a lack of creativity on their part where they were like, they couldn't even make it a little more subtle. The fact that what was right. happening in the flashback was what was happening on the island.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. Like by funny, it's just like, oh, this is so obvious. Like there's not even any attempt to like, you know, you know, make it metaphorical or anything. It's like, no, this is the exact same thing. And, you know, we're just going to roll with it because flashbacks, you know, are dying and we really want that end date. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it totally makes sense. <laughs>
0: In flashback, we see a news reporter, the eponymous Trisha Tanaka, outside Mr. Cluck's interviewing Hurley. She mentions how it's many employees dream to win the lottery and then buy their job. And she asks Hurley why he bought Mr. Cluck's. And he simply responds with the answer that I've given countless times in my life. I like chicken. I want that <laughs> on a T-shirt. I would wear it every day. That would—that That is my <laughs> slogan. I like chicken. I love it. <laughs> Uh, she then looks to Randy nations, Randy. Oh, he was once Hurley's boss now locks boss, but is now Hurley's employee. And she again comments how that's the dream of many employees, but Hurley doesn't have an answer. She finally asks Hurley to tell them what he's done since going on this lucky streak. But he counters by telling her it's actually been pretty unlucky. His grandfather died. His mom's house burned down. His best friend Johnny ran off with his girlfriend Starla, which somebody in a previous episode was like, oh, we don't ever hear about those characters again. This is the reference. I don't remember who that was. Um, (laughs) And the fact that a man jumped off his accountant's roof. Trisha then yells for her cameraman to stop recording before angrily reminding Hurley that this is a puff piece. It's a short thing to make people feel good and build him up. He apologizes, and she and her cameraman ask to go shoot some B-roll inside. Hurley's nervous, and Randy tells them that Hurley's superstitious about anyone entering before the ribbon-cutting ceremony, and angrily, she and her cameraman walk away towards the building.
1: Yeah. What a scene. (laughs) I just love
0: that Randy cop keeps popping up like randomly in all these episodes. (laughs) Um, He's a great character for like that sort of thing. And I actually mentioned it like a few episodes ago uh, in regards to a character from one of Desmond's flashbacks and how he was there once. And if he had been mentioned even one more time or been in the sideways I think it would have given his character more weight and I that this is the kind of thing that I meant in regards to that is like if you have a recurring character like this who shows up in several flashbacks like it just makes more sense it gives the character and the backstory of your main character a little more weight no pun intended because it's Hurley (laughs) absolutely
1: yeah I wonder how they decided um who to make Bigger characters that were kind of small characters, um, like for example, like Frogert, you know, was kind of like this side character, and then they kind of brought him in a little bit just to kill him. Um, <laughs> but then they have like other characters from flashbacks, or like Nikki and Paulo, where it's like, oh yeah, like when do they decide, like, oh, these are the two that we want to make, you know, small to big characters in a way? Um, so it's just like, why couldn't we get like a Randy flashback or something? <laughs>
0: Well, see, In I mean, in regards to, like, Nicky and Paolo, like, if they were going to do that, they should have given it to Rose and Bernard, in my opinion, because, like, sure. they had been established a little bit. And I know that was a lot of people's thing with, with Nicky and Paolo, and maybe you can give us a little bit more insight into them, because you were on a lot of the message boards and things. But, like, they just threw them in, like, out yeah. of nowhere. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was such an interesting time in the show Um, because yeah I mean they literally they had that as an idea you know they're like let's cast these two they're gonna be kind of in it for this season but then we're gonna make them bigger just to prove like oh these these people in the background are actually um, you know important to the other characters always it's like okay that's like a valid effort you know a valid uh, goal but um, yeah like why why
0: (laughs) yeah it just it doesn't make sense Hurley asks Randy several questions to make sure that nothing can go wrong inside. Randy tries putting him at ease before Hurley hears something. It sounds a little like a missile. Inside, Trisha Tanaka hears it as well. And outside, Hurley and Randy see the meteor crash into the building. And I'm not going to lie, despite the fact that, again, because I came into the show late, I read certain things, and I had read that Stranger in a Strange Land was, at that point, considered the worst episode of the show. I personally think it was the worst episode of the show. Many people disagree. Um, but the fact that, like, it caused so many problems within the fan community, when I was watching this, no lie, I'm like, okay, wait, a meteor is going to randomly crash into a building. (laughs) Like, to me, at the moment, I was like, the show's jumped the shark.
1: (laughs) It is such a jump the shark moment, you know, but it's played off for, like, humor and just weirdness that, for some reason, like, yeah, it never never stood out to me as like a, Oh God, like what have they done to the show? It was just like, yeah, of course this would happen in Hurley's flashback. (laughs) Like at that point, like you've already accepted the fact that, you know, he sees the numbers everywhere. He's in the airport and he sees the numbers on like girls' soccer jerseys. Like there's just so many, like, I mean, that's such a minor moment, but it just like you Hurley kind of lives in this like elevated over the top world. That's even different from the other characters, you know, with, All the crazy things going on around like Hurley was always in this kind of weird hyperbolic version of like real life just because, you know, this quote unquote curse was following him everywhere. That something like that at this point in the show was just like, like, yeah, yeah, like that makes total sense. You know,
0: (laughs) you're right. No, you're absolutely right. And it did take me a little bit to get to that point. But like I said, yeah, no, it's when the first time I was watching it, I was like, okay, this is a little too excessive. And then because I was binging, it wasn't a hundred percent. Like I, I, you know, I didn't sit and think about it, but at a certain point, like I, it was probably maybe my second rewatch. I, I did sit and think about it and I'm like, like you said, like there's so many things where it's like, okay. Um, and it's one of the things that I've commented on in the past. Like when people say things about like, Oh, I didn't believe this or I, I still don't get behind this, that, or the other thing. And I'm just like, we're in a show where a smoke monster exists <laughs> yep. and you're not going to buy this little like it, whether it's a, a, you know, a plotted consistency or whatever. I'm like, and I, and I've pointed it out many times on this show where I'm like, a smoke monster exists. If you can buy that, why can't you buy this? And that's basically where I got to the point where, like you said, even the fact that Hurley lives in like this kind of exaggerated version of, of what their real life is. I was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I get it. It makes sense. (laughs) Yep.
1: Yep. Oh, I think it also is uh, super helpful that the episode itself, uh, you know, in present day on the Island, is so mundane. Like I can't imagine this flashback existing in season five, like when time travel's happening and Jacob and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, but the fact that this episode is, you know, mostly, mostly about Hurley trying to start a car, I think helps it out a lot. Cause you know, if there's a bunch of other crazy stuff happening, you'd be like, okay, like the on Island stuff is too much. The flashbacks are too much. Like what is this show doing? Yeah. But because it's a mundane like premise for the episode. Um, I think it kind of stands out as like this, like, Here's the crazy thing we're going to do. Everything else will be pretty, you know, like tame for Lost, you know, as you've seen it as of now, Um, which I think, you know, works in
0: its favor. Yeah, (laughs) I'd agree with that. Yeah. Back on the island, Hurley is inspecting the van. He sees a body in a Dharma jumpsuit with the Swan logo on it. In the name section, it says Roger on line one and Workman on line two. Cause I was debating how to pronounce it. I'm not going (laughs) to (laughs) lie. Right. There are two ways to pronounce it. (laughs) Um, Back on the beach in the little pantry section thing. Paolo mentions to Nikki that they're out of Dharma oat bars and they get into a squabble. Thrilling. Oh Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, on Jin and son, she asks him to pass the cereal, but she asks him in English and he doesn't understand and tries to speak to her in Korean. She tells him that in order to learn English, she will only speak to him in English. It will be difficult, but it's how he will learn. Hurley then runs into the camp to get everyone's attention. They ask if everything is okay, and he excitedly tells them that he found a car tipped over in the jungle. They are less than enthused. They don't understand what good a car is, or restarting it for that matter, uh, what it will do for them. Hurley gets more excited and tells them it'll be fun, and they need fun. He tells Charlie he especially needs fun. And now, this is where I I said about... uh. Referencing things that have happened in the past or whatever, and I wrote, now I was thinking as I watched this, how normally I think this is just a go- you know, just goofy Hurley doing his usual thing of trying to distract everyone, which it is. But from a production standpoint, this is the second time they've not only recycled a plot point, but the second time they've done it with Hurley involved. In seasons one and two, they reused Sawyer chasing a boar, and then he's chasing a tree frog with Hurley that second time. And now this <laughs> time, they're using the Hurley needs to distract everyone from the horrible things by doing something fun. In season one, it was the golf course, and now it's fixing up and driving the car. And I think this, uh, I said, this plays a much bigger part in the grand scheme of the show but it definitely seems like a recycled plot point and further what many of us have said over the last few weeks of episodes on this show, how the end of season two and beginning of season three was just the writers sort of floating along, not really allowed to move forward with their story.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, this is absolutely like the golf course story all over again. (laughs) Um, You know, thankfully it's a lot of fun and we're also, you know learning stuff um along the way which is nice but um yeah it's totally recycled but um yeah it's it's absolutely you know where they were in season three just kind of like hello abc like we're giving you reason after reason why this formula can't work anymore you know but we can't just it, it, you know abandon it altogether. like that's the whole structure of our show but now are you starting to see, you know, kind of where our creativity is at? Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, literally, like like them driving the van around at the end is very much like you know them swinging the golf clubs golf clubs around uh, in the air. Um, the same kind of feel good, you know, like oh Hurley did it, you know, and everyone's happier kind of moment, um, which again is is a pleasure to watch. But yeah, from a if you're being really critical and you know thinking like what's filler, you know, what's, what's been done before. This is absolutely that. Um,
0: and that's, that's the thing so, is like, if it wasn't for doing this podcast, I probably wouldn't have thought about that. And, uh, and like Jake and I have talked about it many times. The fact that upon, so, you know, after so many rewatches and it's not that I don't enjoy the show anymore. Been, and I mean, people who may listen to this show think that I may think that I don't enjoy the show because I do end up being critical on it. But I really do. It's my favorite show of all time. I've said that and I will continue to say that. But I think it's just from doing this podcast series where now I'm at the point in a rewatch, especially because I'm doing this, that. I do tend to be a little more critical in the thinking. One, so that I have things to talk about in the show. And two, just because I've watched it and enjoyed it so many times, so many different ways, that maybe this is just the point I'm at in rewatching it, that it's just like now, and especially because I'm a little older, it's been a few years since I did a full on rewatch, but now I'm just. Critically thinking about the show versus just like oh let's watch the show for fun yeah I'll think about this I'll read that but like almost because I'm break I break scenes down point by point I do get to think about things like that of like oh this is a recycled plot point like oh like you said before oh the storyline on the island and the, and then the flashbacks is the exact same thing and they're not even like putting like a thin veil over it of like oh it sort of kind of relates to it even though it is the same like no it's the exact same thing so yeah. yeah.
1: Critical yeah, thing. No, yeah. I think I think it's going to be critical, um, and you know, so many. And I was one of these fans too. You know, where it's like I thought of the show is it could do no wrong. You know, even after it ended, I was like, it did no wrong. It was a flawless show. Um, clearly, that's not true. Um, but I do view its flaws, like this episode, as you know, not terrible things in the history of the show. Um, I mean, if anything, it makes me thankful that ABC finally did cave, and you know, if these like these you know somewhat lesser episodes were part of that decision like great you know thank god
0: yeah Uh, exactly
1: you know imagine if they did a whole nother amazing season of flashbacks and then you know a season four was even sloppier than season three because of it um yeah so it, it doesn't really affect my enjoyment of the show overall um but yeah i think it is good to be critical in you know understand those choices and you know, where they were at within the context of the whole show. Um, so yeah, thank goodness uh, they finally got their end date after this season.
0: <laughs> and like I've said, and I'm not saying this is the worst episode cause I've said that about, about another episode, but to me and I, and I even said it in that discussion for stranger in a strange land Even even though I, you know, in this episode and many others, I point out like, oh, I don't like this. Oh, this is, you know, whatever the critical thinking aspect of it. And I I say this all the time. I would much rather watch my least favorite episode of my favorite show than like almost any other episode of any other TV series.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Also, um, I have one little note in here. Uh, Before we move on, that uh, during that scene when Hurley runs in and is just like, we found a van or whatever, um, we just see him run excitedly, and so everyone's kind of like, what's going on? And in the background, you hear Paula just be like, is it the others? And I just found that to be so funny because it's like the writer's trying so hard to be like, oh, Nikki and Paula know about the others. Like, (laughs) you know, don't (laughs) you. They're talking about the food, but they're very much aware of the others. Like, (laughs) hint, hint, everyone's aware
0: um they've been there the whole time believe us
1: yeah yeah and i just found it like (laughs) like i've never laughed at that before i mean maybe i never even heard it before but this time it like stuck out so much like is it the others and his like little brazilian accent it was great
0: (laughs) i loved it uh hurley asks for volunteers but everyone says no except for Jin, who doesn't understand english and hurley takes this as Jin signing up despite the fact that he doesn't know what he's signing up for Elsewhere in the jungle, Kate and Sawyer are walking, and Sawyer asks if they're home yet, and Kate says it should be just through the tree, not even five minutes. Sawyer sarcastically mentions how she's not excited, and she says it's difficult to be excited when they have to explain why only two of them are coming back. Sawyer responds that they should get, not give, an explanation as to why no one came for them. He then steps on a dart. She sits him down and goes to pull it out on three, but actually does it on two, like any decent human being would do, because as she says, the anticipation is the worst part. After sharing a look, she mentions that all he has to do is apologize, and they could start over, clean slate. He mentions slate like on Little House on the Prairie, which as I mentioned in a previous episode, I have seen several episodes because my dad was a fan, but I did not understand his obsession with the frontier life. (laughs) Uh, Kate mocks him for knowing Little House, And he says how he was home from school for three months with Mono. And I am not surprised that he got the kissing disease, by the way. Right. (laughs) Makes
1: sense.
0: And they only got one channel in his trailer. They then admit that they're not actually talking about anything, just avoiding. He tells her that he has nothing to be sorry for. She mentions that this is how they will be. And she went from calling him James to calling him Sawyer once again. In a huff, they both welcome each other home.
1: Uh, Yeah, I, I will just say uh, my stance on, uh, you know, shipping, shipping wise, I was not really a fan of Sawyer and Kate ever. Um, I, I thought it was really fun to watch their banter, but I never could like get behind them just because Sawyer always had these moments where he knew exactly what to say to like, make her upset or just like hurt her, which I found really just like, sad (laughs) um I don't know I always say like in season one the thing that ever uh the thing that ruined any chance of me ever rooting for them was um when Sawyer basically tells her there's nothing worth staying for on the island I'm like okay like calm down (laughs) um well yeah but I mean
0: isn't that like a thing in relationships I mean even friendships isn't it the thing like you can say like the one thing that you know is going to get the other person upset, but it's the fact that you still care about them and you stick around anyway. And even sometimes, and it's not healthy. I completely know that. But isn't that a thing that people do a lot where like they'll purposely do things to to piss people off and to make people angry to kind of make them like, I'm going to push you away. I'm going to do all these mean things to you. And I'm going to get you to prove that you want to stay in my life because so many people have abandoned me for so long that I need you to prove it. Despite the fact that half the people who do that, it's nothing is ever good enough for them. So like they're they just keep pushing people away because they keep needing to know so and so will have my back. And now even if I push them even a little further, they'll always come back to me. And it's very much like a power thing. But isn't that kind of what he's doing? Yeah, definitely. I think that's exactly what he's doing. Um, Yeah, I guess for me, that was just
1: like, A, maybe like too real. And it was just like, oh, like, no one's ever going to stay with you if you always act like this forever, you know. And thankfully, he doesn't. You know, he gets much better with Juliet later. Um, Yeah, I think at this point, you know, between seasons one and three, neither of them has evolved enough to like kind of – parse their relationship in a way that was you know like mature and made sense um so that's why I was just kind of like while it was like fun for me to watch like it never really hit me as hard as like the Jack and Kate moments did um yeah I don't know I can't really explain it but yeah I was always a much bigger fan of Jack and Kate
0: okay I gotta ask because it's something (laughs) I ask everybody on this show Kate hate or no kate hate what's your what's what's your stance on Kate as a character because there's people who really, really like her and they'll defend her. she's a very strong female character, she's integral to the show, all this other stuff, and then there are people who absolutely hate her, she makes all the wrong decisions, she's the worst, blah 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 blah. Where do you stand I'm a no kate hate
1: <clears throat> um I love Kate like I think she's yeah, she doesn't make the best decisions, but um. I don't know. I I always liked her. I I think some of her flashbacks are my favorite. I know that's another big point of contention with people is that, you know, they're all the same or like they're boring. And I don't know. I just really liked her story. And I liked that she was always trying. She always thought she was doing the right thing. Um, You know, very much like Jack, like they always think they're doing the right thing. And I just kind of like that they always try, even if, you know, it doesn't work out or it's like the completely wrong decision. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I... I, as I was watching, I never felt like, like I hated her or could hate her. Um, yeah, there are definitely other characters where I was like, oh, they're more useless or more annoying than her for sure.
0: Okay. I'm just, like I said, I'm, I'm just always interested to hear people's thoughts on her. And like, you, it's, it's interesting that you said about how her and Jack are very similar in that way. And it's funny cause I'm not a Jack fan that's been mm-hmm. well established, but like, I do like the fact that Jack always tries, but for some reason for me, Kate always, despite the fact that she screws up more things than he does, I don't know why there's just something where like, I like her character more than his character.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, there, there are definitely moments with Jack that frustrate me so much and I don't hate Jack overall, but, um, yeah, there are definitely moments that infuriate me more about him than anything that Kate ever did.
0: We then see Kate and Sawyer coming up on the beach a moment later to the survivor's camp. Everyone is happily greeting them, but they aren't exactly walking together. In flashback, we see Hurley coming home, still covered in dust from Mr. Clucks. This is not his previous home. This is a mansion. His mother then yells, asking if he's okay, and he mentions that Trisha Tanaka is dead and Mr. Clucks was hit by a meteorite. Or meteor. I don't remember what he says. Meteor or meteor, asteroid, like something he, like that.
1: Yeah, he, he doesn't know if it's a meteor or uh, or an asteroid. <laughs> Which, to
0: be fair, I don't know the difference either. I'm Same, not either. yeah. I'm smart enough. <laughs> uh, she says how that's crazy, but he responds that it's not crazy. It's the unlucky lottery numbers and how he's cursed. She slaps him across the face, as she always does when he says about being cursed, before yeah. he says that the only way to stop it is to go to Australia She's clearly heard this before, but he explains it once again that the numbers came from Lenny, who told him he needs to go to Australia. She tells him that she can prove he isn't cursed. She leads him into another room, and his father, David, is there. He says hello, and she mentions how 17 years later, his father has returned. He looks at Hurley and makes a fat joke against him, referencing the candy bar line from earlier, which we talked about, and I wrote, What a pleasant greeting from your long-absent father. (laughs)
1: uh yeah so um yeah before the flashback uh the moment where Kate and Sawyer walk up you know to camp again um yeah I just found it really really interesting and kind of funny like all these red shirts you know running up to Kate like like oh my god Kate like we've missed you so much I'm like what has she done for any of these people you know like again uh because I I think this was uh and Eddie Cortes Adam Horowitz episode which you know they did a lot with Nikki and Paulo um so i'm like wondering i'm like wow are they really pushing this whole like like you know these survivors did so much for these other people and you know they're all friends even though we don't see that on screen um yeah it kind of ties into like the finale too like like oh if they all really like knew each other that well like i don't know like why aren't they they in the church too but <laughs> anyway just like really it was just really funny to me this time like all these like before sun or anyone else gets up it's just like you know 10 to 15 randos we've never seen like running <laughs> and hugging her i'm like what is happening <laughs> i love that i've never thought about that
0: before Cause yeah, yeah. the only thing I think of in that scene is like, we've seen this many times. We see like, sure, yeah. like all, like anytime characters come back, they come up that exact same part of the beach <laughs> yep. and everybody just runs up to them going, Oh, you're back. You're back. You're back. And then it yep. takes, and it, just like it does in this episode, it takes like not even five minutes for them to be like, all right, we're going the a team is going back out into the jungle. <laughs> uh, yep.
1: Uh, I just love it so much. It's like such a nice loss trope. <laughs> um, But yeah, so, and then, um, yeah, the flashback, I feel like we talked a lot about that moment of his dad coming in. Um, Yeah, I just love, I love his mom slapping him all the time, and, you know, uh, him just like, I just kind of picture him, like, walking from Mr. Clucks. I don't know why that's that's silly, but do you know what I mean? Like, covered would dirt, just like, (laughs) like, peanut style, like, walking home. Um, (laughs) That's how I feel like Hurley is in that moment, just to see him get slapped like that, like, after all that's happened just like so perfect
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> that that is so his mom too just like totally ignoring the fact that he's just like yeah a meteor crashed like feet away from me and she's just like stop talking about that curse you know
0: <laughs> i don't know it just seems so strange to me that the mom just and i mean i understand she makes the the reference to it later but just the fact of like All of a sudden, like, oh, look, your father's back. Like, I would love to have seen, like, whatever happened between them, like, beforehand, where she's just like, okay, you need to explain to me, like, where you've been, why you haven't come home. Like, you know, you left me to raise our son, all this other stuff. And then we get to see this scene of, like, oh, yes, by the way, your you know, here, your father's home. Look, he's back. Instead of just, like, you know. After 17 years, your father, like, she makes it sound like, and I mean, especially from the religious standpoint of her, she makes it sound like it's almost the second coming of Jesus, where she's (laughs) just like, after 17 years, your father has returned. Like, no!
1: (laughs) Yeah, 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 I can't speak to any kind of cultural thing, but from a religious angle, like, I mean, yeah, that makes sense to me, you know, kind of holding on to hope in this, like, really sad way that, you know, like, it's almost as if she put her whole life on hold and just like picking up 17 years later, as if it had been just a day, you know, like went to the store for a day rather than 17 years. Um, yeah. she just completely ignores, you know, anything that might've happened, but, um, yeah, but yeah, I would like to see, you know, that moment he comes home too, but you know, in my head, it's just her approaching him and hugging him and kissing him being like, Oh, thank God you're back. You know, like that's it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I I feel like that too. Like it would be like you said, almost like she put her life on hold Kind of. And it's just like, you know, oh, welcome back from that trip that you went to in Vegas yesterday, which was actually 17 years ago. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Totally not thinking about the money or anything
1: else. Just like, like, oh, my life is resuming now.
0: Yeah. Back on the island, Jin and Hurley are at the van. They open the back and many Dharma beer cans are inside. They have uh, many miscommunications due to the language gap, and Hurley even says that he sucks at charades. Eventually, he realizes that Jin wants to take Roger out and turn the van over. And he does, and I've mentioned it many times, he does that classic English-speaking person thing where he speaks slower and louder to tell Jin that he understands. And of course, as we know from television, this works every time. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
1: this is like... It's, like, borderline offensive, you know, at this point. Um, but at this point? Hurley, it, I mean, okay. <laughs> it's always offensive, but um, re-watching it was like, like, it stung more than usual, but I'm like, oh, but at least it's Hurley. Like, he's still charming about it. Um, I think part of the reason yeah. it
0: stings is, one, because, like, we like Hurley so much. So, like you said, he is still charming, but, like, it's like, oh, I expected more from him. Also it's 2018 now. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things that happen on this show alone, which isn't that old. It hasn't even been 10 years since it went off the air, but there's so many things that you could not get away with on television now on network television, at least.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I will still credit it with being, you know, one of the most diverse shows, uh, for its time. Um, and that's like kudos to ABC too, because they have Grey's Anatomy and all these diverse shows. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that's awesome. But yeah, looking at these moments, <clears throat> like this language barrier moment, it's just like, ooh, like, yeah, that didn't have to be a thing. Like, I didn't laugh that much at it for it to warrant being there, you know? Like
0: They then get into position to get Roger out, and on three they do, but his skull pops off, and Hurley mentions how they'll get that later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now that's a good joke. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> Especially because this whole time – we're thinking like oh this is just a random skeleton they find some dharma person you know we're not i don't know i I guess at this point we should be trained to you know to to think that every minor character or thing is going to come back but i mean it's such like a they play it as such a physical comedic moment that um that you never think this character will be as big as he ends up being later you know which makes it even funnier to me in a way
0: Back on the beach, Desmond is fixing his tarp as Charlie approaches, asking when it'll happen. Desmond says he doesn't understand what Charlie's asking, and Charlie tells him not to play dumb. Desmond tries to lie that if he said anything while drunk, it wasn't substantial, but Charlie demands that he has a right to know when he's going to die, but Desmond tells him it doesn't work like that. Before Desmond can explain more, Sawyer comes up, calling Charlie Oliver Twist and asking where his stuff is. Charlie, of course, plays dumb himself now and asks what stuff, and Sawyer mentions his stash, books, food, porno, and a bottle of scotch, and Desmond takes the hit for the scotch, and Sawyer seems appalled that it was consumed, and, I mean, I'm not, like, a big, like, alcohol connoisseur, so, like, I understand, like, certain things you want to let age or whatever, but, like, (laughs) if you have booze, like, drink it, man, like... (laughs) (laughs) <clears throat> I do think, though,
1: because Sawyer does like his drink a lot, that, you know, he he's also very pessimistic, like, we're not getting off this island, blah, 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 so for him, it's like, you know, I could see him taking, like, the tiniest little sip, maybe, like, you know, once a week, just to make it last, just in case, you know? um or as someone who's more of a casual drinker you know like Charlie and Desmond and that crew they're like oh whatever like this is fun you know we don't really care but Sawyer's like oh I want to make this last for as long as possible
0: <laughs> I could see that yeah I love how you I love how you said that like more of a casual drinker like the the people from the UK who like that's what they're known for <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah true um yeah no I also love
0: like how much attachment
1: Sawyer always has for his stuff you know like Literally the first thing he gets back, he's like, okay, who took what of my shit, you know? And it's every <laughs> time. Like, every single time, yeah. And at least he's consistent. You know, he never takes a break. He doesn't, you know, sit in his little area and, like, you know, take a nap for a second. No, like, immediately he's like, all right, who took my shit?
0: <laughs> yeah, you think, I mean, you I, maybe he, didn't, he obviously didn't know that, like, he was going to get stuck on the raft or, uh, you know, taken by the others or whatever. But you think he would pay better attention to all of his like hiding his stuff kind of like he did more in season one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> this also, this also begins Sawyer's. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, this is probably the most, you know, nicknames he's dropped in a single episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I even wrote down here, Oliver Twist and Munchkin and Snuffy, like these are within like a few minutes. And then I couldn't even like write all the rest down. Cause it's just like every line he has is some, nickname or like pop culture reference which is great.
0: But they tell him that there was 3 of them who had the alcohol and he wants to know who the third was. In the jungle at the van, we see Jin and Hurley with poles getting ready to tip the van. Hurley tells Jin that using the poles is very crafty. Jin doesn't understand the word and Hurley has a difficult time explaining it. And much like I said with the chicken line earlier, this is probably on par with the quote of like that quote describes my life. I have probably used this line the most, it's my most quoted line of the entire show where it's crafty. It means you're good at crafts because (laughs) my mother, for anybody who doesn't know, my mother is a face painter, body artist, party planner, entertainer, like all that sort of stuff. She does that. She actually does, Like she makes crafts and things. And that's one of the things at birthday parties that she does. She offers like, you know, oh, we'll we'll sit with the kids and we'll make crafts with them and things like that. And so for a long time in our family, we've always said that she's very crafty. And of course, that tends to have a negative connotation. But ever since hearing this line, I always use it in terms of my mother. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's very crafty. And then people look at me and I'll go it means you're good at crafts. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, probably my most quoted line of the show is that line. Nice. Uh, Sawyer then enters asking where his stuff went before noticing the van and asking what they're doing. But Hurley runs to hug him, expressing how happy he is that he's alive. And Sawyer calls him snuffy and he hugs him (laughs) back and says that it's good to see him. He also mentions they found themselves a hippie car. Jin goes to hug Sawyer as well, and, in broken English, tells him that it's good to see him, and Sawyer is impressed with how his English is coming along. Hurley asks about Jack and Kate, and Sawyer mentions how Kate is back, but the others still have Jack. But this doesn't deter Hurley, who reaffirms that everyone will be okay. They'll all be okay. Everything will be great, he says, something along those lines. And Sawyer sarcastically tells him that he's relieved at that news. Hurley mentions how Sawyer coming back safely is a sign. But Sawyer says that he wants his stuff back, and Hurley goes back to talking about the van, asking if Sawyer will help him, and he uses the beer to entice Sawyer.
1: <laughs> Smart. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> like we drank your scotch, but there is some beer. <laughs> but no, I always like these these moments, and I mean, of course, over the last, uh, basically since the end of season one, uh, into season two, Sawyer and Jin definitely formed. The Bond, you know, Jin would not let Sawyer go when they, you know, when when the Taylors were trekking along the island and he, you know, him and Michael were like, no, we're not letting him go. Even Michael at a few points said like, you know, like we gotta, we gotta leave him or whatever, you know, and Sawyer said the same thing. But like Jin is definitely like that loyal friend who no matter what he will help you get to where you need to go. He will always be the one who's who's there for you. He's loyal to his friends and I really like that. So I like the fact that they're finally back together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, their their friendship is <clears throat> definitely um one that evolves over time, but it's it's uh yeah, it's I love when shows take characters that don't interact that often and you know, put them in a scene together and that's what it was for me with, you know, Sawyer, Jin and Hurley um you know and it creates this awesome this awesome you know set of relationships that you're like oh wow like this actually works so well we're gonna keep this going you know through next season and the season after that um yeah we've never really seen them all interact like this before and i think that's a really fun dynamic um especially when charlie comes in too it's like you know four amigos like like such a ragtag bunch of people Um,
0: But it just makes sense. It's like ragtag. And it's like, like you said, like, it's just it's such an awkward dynamic. But like, it just 100% makes sense.
1: Totally. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, even in Uh,
0: terms of like later in the season, when Desmond is replaced by Sawyer, and it's Hurley, Charlie, Jin, and Desmond, and they all go like camping and, and that leads to Naomi showing up or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, okay, Desmond isn't Sawyer but it still works just all of those characters because they, when they get to all be together, it's just like, it's magic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like the jokes practically write themselves. And um, yeah, it's so, it's so much more satisfying seeing them together at the end when, you know, Hurley actually gets the van running. It's like, they're all celebrating together and it's like solidifying this bond that's funny and weird and makes perfect sense. Um, Which I love. And I also love how, they're also using this opportunity to be like, like Jin is learning English. Like, don't be surprised when he starts speaking it fluently soon, you know, like,
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, I, I would assume for him, that was probably a great thing because I've read several things and I saw a thing with him once where he talked about the fact that like, he knew Korean like growing up, but basically he wasn't, like, not that he forgot it, but he didn't speak it as often. And it was to the point where he even had to show um, Yun Jin Kim certain things because she didn't speak it like at all, but he right. spoke it a little bit. So then kind of this, like her being like, I'm going to teach you English. It was almost it was like a play on the fact that in real life, the reverse had to happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. But Yeah, I mean, they made it what three and a half seasons before finally addressing him like that's uh that's pretty admirable yeah (laughs) but yeah no I, i do appreciate um you know that they don't gloss it over like you know like one episode he doesn't speak it at all and then a few episodes later it's like in the background he learned it don't worry about it like you know this is a nice way to acknowledge it and also have fun with it um which
0: is oh, cool. So, so you're, you're saying you like the fact that they didn't give it the Nikki and Paolo treatment of like, oh, yeah, it's just here now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they were a little more
1: careful with it.
0: <laughs> back on the beach, Saeed and Locke are talking with Kate. Kate tells them how Jack sacrificed himself to Kate to save Kate and Sawyer. Said says how they know that Michael and Walt were let go. And Kate says they got on a boat and never looked back. Saeed asks if they have other boats, and Kate says although she doesn't know, she's sure they didn't give up their only one. Locke asks if they can leave the island, but she says she isn't sure. After Saeed asks, she tells them how Carl, one of the others, told them that they don't live on Hydra, they live on the main island, but they don't have more answers because Sawyer let Carl go. She starts to walk off while carrying a pack, and she tells them how she's going after Jack. She can't just leave him alone. She owes it to him to go back, but she needs help. Locke asks who she needs help from. I gotta say, when I was first watching it, despite the fact that it was like all I had to do was like wait till the end of the episode, I'm just like who like I had no, I mean, cause I wasn't really watching many, people watch the credits and like certain people would see the credits before, you know, like the press releases. So they would watch the like see the credits before the episodes even aired. So they were like, Oh yeah, she's in this episode or whatever. I didn't even right. bother <clears throat> looking where I'm just like, I'm they, like, I'm just so into the show. The very first time that I was watching it, I'm like, who is she going to ask who is left? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea at the time either.
1: Um, Especially because the uh, mystery character in question wasn't, you know, in a lot of episodes recently. So you kind of forgot about her a bit,
0: um, which is a little and In flashback, we see dinner at the Reyes house, buffets of food being served by two butlers. In the center of the table is a golden Jesus statue. David comments on this and I love his line. Like I said it once before uh, in the, the lock flashback where he uses the word hell in a prayer. And it just, it, it makes me laugh. And so like the fact Mm -hmm. that David says like, that's one hell of a Jesus. I'm like, do you realize like in terms of like religion, what you just said, like, you don't say those things together in a sentence yep yep <laughs> uh and hurley's mom carmen mentions how hurley bought it for her due to her love for the savior and she also comments how the trans trans trons tron right trons yeah trons uh their butlers made all the great smelling food and hurley found them at bennegan's which like bennegan's <laughs> like, right very obscure okay. name drop there i love it um i really like
1: uh and again this isn't one of those things where it's like they knew everything all along because it definitely isn't but knowing what i know from having finished the series multiple times um it's cool to see the jesus statue kind of rotating and like the, weird, the camera angle kind of panning across it and it's very much like the opening shot of the end um i don't know if you picked up i it just kind of cool. I was like cuz <clears throat> i love i love the way they film the the cold open of uh of the final episode and that specifically just like the camera kind of panning around a bit like that reminded me of that and it was kind of cool
0: i did not notice it but now that you're saying it i like in my mind's eye i can totally see it yeah yeah it's just an interesting little thing hurley this whole time is just staring at his plate david asks if he's okay and carmen tells him to answer his father And Hurley questions his father, and he says how Carmen is acting like he hasn't been gone for 17 years, kind of like how we commented before. And now that they have money, he's back. David says how he showed up because Carmen asked him to come back. She said Hurley was in trouble. Curly doesn't understand, but Carmen says that all of the talk of cursed numbers, she didn't know what to do anymore. She wanted him to get a manly influence. And he reiterates that he's not crazy and David is only back for the money. And David mentions how that hurts. Which, like, that's such a fake line. He's like, oh, that hurts. Like, Yeah. (laughs) No, because he's calling you out on your bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: don't even pretend,
0: David. (laughs) But Hurley's made up his mind that he's giving all the money away. He tells the Trons that they're being let go before giving them a giant wad of cash as a severance package. He tells them he's doing them a favor because it's only a matter of time before the curse gets them too. Carmen asks what he's doing, and he says he's getting rid of the money, the houses, everything, starting with his father. But Carmen insists that David is staying with them because after 17 years, she has needs. (laughs) <laughs> and she even covers golden Jesus's ears to say this. And Hurley then covers his own ears before yelling in disbelief, saying that he wants his father gone. <laughs> I'm yeah, a grown no, no. man. And that scene creeps me out where she's just like needs. I'm like, yeah. like I cringe every time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it's, uh, not a nice thought, <laughs> 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 but maybe that's why she was so willing to just take him back. You know?
0: oh that very poor choice of words (laughs) oh boy (laughs) (laughs) carmen then tells hurley to show his father what's in the garage moments later we see hurley and david looking at the old camaro david is surprised that hurley saved it
1: yeah so i think this is um i think this is a nice little turning point because obviously we know how david is and you know he's not there to to you know make amends with hurley by any means um but i do think this moment for him kind of you know leads to his final scene in this episode um where he does see and he's kind of like oh crap like you know i was really selfish and you know meanwhile my kid 17 years later is still holding on to you know these past dreams that i had no intention of you know fulfilling for him um so yeah i mean it is it's like kind of a sweet moment it kind of uh makes him a little bit more endearing, um, just because you can kind of see how much he's hurt Hurley at that point. Um, you know, he's not gonna take him out to the Grand Canyon at this very moment by any means, but um, you know, it's a little a little sweet moment. Uh it's also very sad for Hurley, you know, like he's just been holding on to this thing that uh, you know, has no interest in him really.
0: I th- I think it's also a thing of like And like you said, like, he's, you know, oh, I feel bad. You know, he's been holding on to this sweet moment. But like in in one sense, yes, like there is that childhood innocence of Hurley, the fact that he held on to this Camaro. But I think maybe not in this scene, but just overall, I would think at some point David has to feel incredibly bad because like, yeah, okay this episode, maybe not like the perfect example, but like maybe the things we didn't see in the episode of like. Cause all we see is like Hurley sounding crazy in the episode, especially every time he's around David. But like, I would think there would have to be a moment where he just looks. And even if he looks at, at Carmen and he's just like, despite the fact that, you know, like you did a good job without me sort of thing, you know, like where he just, I think he needs to give the credit to Carmen and to Hurley for growing up to be, relatively sensible I mean you know the curse and all that like sounds crazy yeah but like he like Hurley became a good man despite the fact that his father wasn't there because a lot of people it doesn't turn out that way you know like they turn out really bad because like they didn't have that influence or whatever but like even though his father wasn't there like Hurley became a good man you know yeah and I wonder, yeah. like, I, I think that has, I mean, maybe, again, maybe not in that scene with the Camaro, maybe it did. I don't know. But like, I would think at some point that has to go through his mind. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it kind of goes against what Carmen says about, you know, like, Oh, you know, he's back because you need a manly influence in your life. Like, you know, of course she'll say that, um, cause she's Carmen, but, um, we see that that's, you know, totally not true. Um, you know, maybe, his curse, you know, his, you know, somewhat craziness, uh, quote unquote, you know, seems like it. But, you know, as an as the audience, we know what he's going through. Like, it makes a lot more sense just beyond like, oh, his dad's not there. This is why he's acting this way. You know, like, yeah, I, I think you're totally right. <clears throat> he has grown up to be this, um, you know, mature adult without him. And, you know, that's great.
0: Yeah. Back on the island, Jin, Sawyer and Hurley tip the van upright before Sawyer opens the door. There is a really funny moment with Vincent. I didn't put it in my notes, but I am remembering it as I say this, where, like, Vincent the dog, like, puts his head in, and he's just like, me first, and he shoves the dog out of the way. Yeah, Yeah, I I wonder if that was, like, improv
1: or not, because it it felt very improvisational, but, uh, yeah, it's such a nice little moment. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, There's a lot of papers, including a map, and Jin starts to look at the engine. Sawyer says that it looks like Dharma was building a dirt road but then he sees the beer and that's all he cares about. Uh, gin sees that the engine is overgrown with plants. And I just love Hurley's just like, yeah, it looks good to me. Like I know nothing about cars, but like, even I know better than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we then hear Sawyer yell about there being a head in the van, but Hurley brushes it off saying that's just Roger. Like I don't, Oh, that's just Roger. <laughs> Uh, so hurley uh hurley then tries to start the van jin is yelling something in korean and hurley tells him that even if he was speaking english hurley wouldn't understand and i'm in the same boat because i know nothing about cars nothing
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that just goes to show like you know hurley knows nothing about cars you know what he's doing but it just like his you know leap of faith his hope that this will work like he's so blinded by that that at this point, he doesn't even care. You know, he's like, this will work, you know, otherwise things will be very bad for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's exactly what he says. Uh, Hurley tells them that they'll fix it. It'll work. Uh, Sawyer grabs a beer as Hurley tries turning the key once more, claiming that he has hope, but nothing happens. A bit later, Sawyer is drinking while gin is working on the engine. Sawyer mentions how the beer is flat and it stinks and Hurley yells asking Jin if he can fix it but Sawyer tells him to relax and let Jin work. Hurley warns that the beer is old before Rocky 3 maybe even Rocky 2 which I love that cuz it's like that's such a, a not an obscure reference but like it like what does Rocky have to do with anything?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um And Sawyer says how Skeletor, referring to Roger, seems to like it, and he knocks the can on Roger's skull before saying, bottoms up. (laughs) And Hurley chastises him for disrespecting the body. He claims that the guy had a mom, a family, and a name, and he proceeds to call him Roger Workman. (laughs) (laughs) That sound explains it all.
1: Yep, yep. um but yeah a nice a nice bit of foreshadowing too like uh with the mother family you know etc <clears throat> um yeah i maybe at this moment like we we're talking earlier how you know we should just expect you know these minor things to come back later like i think this was the moment maybe you know a lot of people were like oh wait a second you know like hmm, this could be something that will come back um but then it's you know immediately played off with the joke roger workman and then uh you know, we immediately kind of forget again. Um, Yeah. That, (laughs) that joke. I love that. Such classic Hurley.
0: Yeah. Uh, And Sawyer even laughs this off, telling him that it's work, man. He was a Dharma janitor and Hurley says either way, he should respect the dead, which I'm just putting it together in my mind right now about the fact that like how he was talking to Libby's grave earlier in terms of respecting the dead. I never even connected that before.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> Especially, like, you know, his communion with the dead in the later seasons, like, that's, that's really interesting.
0: Jin then tells them something in Korean before Hurley asks if he can fix it, and finally, Jin responds in English that he cannot fix it. Hurley is saddened by this and begs Jin to be able to do so. Sawyer then gets on Hurley's case, telling him that it makes sense that it won't work. Hurley gets mad and asks why he's against the van working, but Sawyer says that he doesn't care either way. He then asks why Hurley is so desperate for it to work. And Hurley says that basically the same thing that he said earlier, that they need hope. But Sawyer tells him that when it comes to hope, he's on the wrong island. There's no hope here. And I'm not going to lie. Every time I watch this, I think it was the wrong choice of words because as we know, Sawyer just got back from another close by island which also has no hope. Right, right. <laughs> like every time I yeah. watch that I'm like poor choice of words, man. Yeah, there's
1: there's
0: no hope in many of these islands. <laughs> <laughs> in flashback, we see Hurley asleep with noise-canceling headphones on, and David comes in to wake him up and asks him about the headphones and Hurley comments that they're for the noise. David mentions how Carmen is a passionate woman, and Hurley notes that that is disgusting. David changes subjects, telling him that they're going on an adventure, but Hurley tells him that he's not going anywhere with him. David says that it's just one thing, and if it doesn't work, he can go to Australia before telling Hurley that they're going to break the curse. A bit later, in a psychic's office, David and Hurley are there, with Hurley commenting how stupid it is the psychic Lynn, who I believe the actress just passed away a few years ago. If I remember correctly. Oh, really? Yeah. And like, she's one of these actresses who like, I don't remember her name off the top of my head and I feel really bad, but like, she's one of like those character actors where you see her and you're just like, Oh, it's that person. Cause you see them yeah, in so many yeah. things, but like, I'm fairly certain that she just passed away like a year or two ago. Aw,
1: that's a bummer.
0: But she begins giving Hurley a reading. She comments how he's recently come into some money, and he says that she could have seen that on the news. She then mentions how it hasn't brought him any happiness, and David says that that wasn't on the news. She says she's seeing numbers, the numbers, and that darkness surrounds them. She then flips a tarot card over, and it's death. She says death surrounds him. She then asks for his hands before telling him she needs to remove the curse from him. She asks him to go into another room and take his clothing off. And he's suspicious, as I would be, too, because, I mean. Yeah, right? What kind of psych is this? (laughs) Well, oh, see, uh, yeah, okay. No, you're right. Like, from that perspective, I would just be very suspicious if a woman in general was like, oh, go take your clothes off. I'd be like, what? No, this doesn't happen (laughs) to (laughs) me. (laughs) Yeah, what is happening here? (laughs) Um, She begins dumping spices and cracking eggs into a large pot before talking more about the curse inside him. And he finally asks if David put her up to this. They both question him asking this. And upon Hurley offering her cash, she even mentions that the mystic arts aren't subject to bribes. And then he he ups the money and she crumbles and says that David put her up to it. And David tells Hurley that he was only trying to help, and Hurley asks who he was trying to help.
1: Mm. Yeah, I love this uh, <clears throat> this theme of, you know, these potentially fraudulent, you know, psychics and uh, healers and everything. Um, yeah, we've seen it with, with Claire's and Isaac of Uluru. Like, um, you know, there's always this—in this case, it's very clear— you know, who knows what she does with other clients, but in this case, she's willing to, you know, take a bribe from two people. Um, but, yeah, the other ones, you know, it's kind of more unclear, you know, were they influenced or not, you know, what's real, what's not. Um, which I really like that they keep that, that trope up.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, I, I like that because it lends to the fact of there's there is no set religion on the show. Right. And I actually right. commented on that in terms of the others, uh, in a, in a, well, a few previous episodes, how all the various things they do, there isn't, there isn't one overall religion that they have. Like a lot of their stuff, like they have like Viking funerals, but then like there's certain other things where, uh, I re- and again, I, we weren't able to figure it out during the, the recording of the episode, but like the Mark, that um they put on on Juliet I read somewhere once and I don't know if I could find it again but it was like that it was some sort of like ancient like wiccan symbol or something we know there's like egyptian things on the island like so I, mean, I think that plays heavily into the show overall like they they don't set out a thing of like this is and I mean it it plays all the way up until the very final moments of the series overall in that, that room in the church, like where the window has various religious symbols on it, where they don't say flat out, like this is the one true religion. The show is very religious overall. It's very spiritual, but there is no one thing that they say, like, this is the truth and the way. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, which I, which I admire, you know, it's like the whole
1: man of science, man of faith thing. Um, you know, there is no man of science or man of faith. Everyone, you know, has a bit of both in them. Um, at least in the show, um, yeah, and I think even in the final moments, you know, people can you're like, Oh, it takes place in a church, you know, they're all going somewhere, somewhere new, you know, some moving on. Um, but even all of that, you know, is still wrapped up in like all this science of the island. And, um, you know, if you even believe like the lamppost, uh, is part of that church, you know, like uh, above it um then yeah i mean it's all tied so directly to each other you can't have one without the other um yeah and this you know this psychic the other psychics are all kind of lumped into that theme uh which i think is really cool
0: back on the oh. island at the van hurley is praying speaking of religion while (laughs) while Jin and sawyer talk and sawyer is teaching Jin words like beer and car and he even calls hurley international house of pancakes before asking him what he's doing hurley mentions that he's praying for help and sawyer throws a can of beer to hurley and tells him that that will help hurley doesn't catch the can however and watches it as it rolls down a hill behind them and he gets an idea and runs off which i love i mean we it's even when it happened earlier where he's just like uh you know like running up to them like excitedly or like going back to you know the golf course thing where he's he's looking at things and he's just like like he takes i think he takes like a cup from somebody or something and they're just like what are you doing and he's just like <laughs> like you could just see like the <laughs> wheels are turning you know <laughs> yep yep <laughs> moments later at the beach hurley approaches charlie and tells him to stop moping Charlie says he's not, but Hurley tells him that he is and to stop because they're going to get the car running. When Char- Charlie asks what the point is, he slaps Charlie across the face and tells him to snap out of it. He further tells him that worrying about dying won't help, but he has an idea that will help both of them. He then tells him there's a chance that he will die. And Charlie, just as confused as I think anybody is when the first time you're watching that, he's like, Is that <laughs> supposed to be helpful? And Hurley tells him that if he doesn't die, it's a win. He goes on to say that things suck lately and they could use a win. They need to make their own luck.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, very much repeating the themes of the episode with his dad. Um, I also like the, the interesting symmetry with, uh, with Carmen, you know, by slapping Charlie. It's like, you can see the Carmen in, in Hurley there.
0: Um, Oh, for sure. (laughs)
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, literally at this point, Hurley's just like, he needs this more than anything else and you know he's willing to bet anything that this will work and you know thank goodness it does otherwise Hurley would be in a very dark place
0: (laughs) back at the van Sawyer is teaching Jin more words and phrases such as I'm sorry you were right and those pants don't make you look fat and upon getting them Sawyer tells him that that's all he needs to talk to a woman (laughs) Hurley and Charlie then enter and Hurley tells them that they need to get to work. Sawyer calls him Jumbotron before Hurley fires back with a nickname of his own, hesitantly calling him Redneck. Man, uh, but Sawyer is very impressed by this and says to Shay and asks what Charlie, who this time he calls Jiminy Cricket, is doing there. And every time he says, you know, Jiminy Cricket, he has this tone in his voice and this look on his face where I'm like, wow, how many beers deep is Sawyer at this moment? <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> he just has like that slight tipsy aura about him
1: <laughs> <laughs> also the the redneck man moment is one of my favorite uh jokes in the whole series it's just it's played so well like <clears throat> um because you don't expect Hurley to retort like that uh um and i love just like the the delivery of it and then also sawyer's acknowledgement just like wow i wasn't expecting that from you like i'm proud of you <laughs> you know like <laughs> Uh, it just, that, it's great.
0: that I say Jif. I don't know if the internet's going to hate me or whatever, but I say Jif, but that Jif of Sawyer saying touche, <laughs> I send that to many of my friends whenever they, they, you know, if I'm making a point and they make a, a point back to me, like kind of, you know, using what I said, but, you know, using my own logic against me or, you know, whatever, like in, in any sort of joking way that I can ever use it. I always use that thing of him going, Touche. So good. (laughs) Hurley then tells them that they're pushing the car before we see them push the car to the edge of the hill. In flashback, Hurley's packing as his father enters, asking if he's going to Australia. Hurley tells him that he wants him to leave. David confirms Hurley's suspicions that he originally came for the money. And Hurley tells him that he's not getting any. But David goes on to say that he's now speaking to Hurley as a father. He tells him how the curse won't be broken by going to Australia and, again, how he needs to make his own luck. He continues by telling Hurley he thinks he should give the money away but to save enough to fix the Camaro so they can go to the Grand Canyon. Hurley grabs his bag and tells him that he'll send a postcard from Australia. David tells him that he'll be there when he gets back. And it's actually, he keeps that promise. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um,
1: yeah, I think this is kind of, uh, again, like we are talking about, uh, or I was talking about him seeing the Camaro. Yeah, I think this is what that's what led him to this moment, you know? Like, I think he's genuine in this moment. Um, you know, I think the money at this point would just be a plus, but, yeah, I think he's had a little bit, of time to reflect, especially with Hurley about to leave. You know, he's like, oh crap, like, like now Hurley's the one leaving me instead of vice versa. And you know, I'm the one ready for my son back. Um I think it's a nice bit of, you know, mirroring there. And um Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a little sad, a little sweet. And you know, uh the show is really good about taking, you know, characters were just like, ah, you know, they could never do anything good, you know, like Christian Shepard and stuff like that. And then they have these really sweet moments where you're like, ah, you know, they're so broken and terrible, but, you know, there's a little bit of it in them. And, you know, we like cling to that. See, or at least
0: I do. Every, I mean, no, you're absolutely right. Every time I see this, all I think, though, is back to that season one episode where he goes and visits uh, Sam Toomey's widow. And I think right. like, Wow we had no idea that he just went through all of this stuff of like reuniting with his father back when we first saw that scene. Like it's, it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of like the, the, all of the Christian shepherd stuff in Australia where it's like, okay, he had this breakdown with Jack in LA. He goes to Australia. He sees Claire's aunt. He, he, is hanging out with Ana Lucia moments later he's with Sawyer, you know, and then he died. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's all this stuff where you're just like, until you think about it, where you're just like, wow, like it, it is that six degrees of separation sort of thing. Or just the fact of like, wow, you had no idea these moments happened until these gaps were filled in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's such a cool thing and I've never, have you ever done like the chronologically lost or any kind of chronological viewing?
0: I have not. I, I feel, well, I mean, especially now being in the middle of this, I feel like I, it would if I were to do it, it would be maybe in like a year or two when I'm ready to do a rewatch again, you know, like now mm-hmm. I don't think I could do it cause I'm in the middle of this, uh, one, but no, I've never, I feel like it, I feel like it wouldn't play. Because, like, it's not – going back to how we were talking about the flashbacks, flash forwards, sideways, all that sort of stuff. It's not, to me, how the show was structured. So I feel like it wouldn't – I feel like, to me, it wouldn't play right.
1: Yeah, I agree. That's what's, like, held me up from doing it. Um, Yeah, for moments like this that you just said, like, it would be kind of cool – just in your head to really solidify like the timeline um <clears throat> it may not play as well but it'd just be kind of cool to see like oh wow like yeah so much happens you know right in a row that you know we don't find out about till seasons later but it's like oh yeah this is for the characters it's all happening you know like you know machine gun fire rate.
0: the other thing that would bug me and it's it's one of my things because like Despite the ending of that show, I love How I Met Your Mother. And, like, they do a lot of things like this where, like, they'll flash back to, you know, in like, I think in the in the very last episode, they flashed back to, like, the very first episode. But then you go back and you watch it, and it happens the same thing whenever I start Law, especially if like i end a show and then i'm like okay i need to go back and immediately rewatch it it's like wow look how young they look and then when you actually <laughs> see those things side by side like if you if we were to see this scene followed by like him going to uh you know catch the plane and then going to meet sam toomey's widow and stuff it's like in the terms of the show. And I comment on this all the time, how like it's only been like 70 or 80 days over the course of these first two and a half seasons, but really it's been two and a half to three years. So in my mind, I would be able to watch it, but it would like take me out of it for like the brief second where I'm like, wow, he looks so much younger despite the fact that it's moments or days later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The continuity would definitely, you know,
1: catch you off guard a little bit.
0: Back on the island, we see a shot into a valley and Sawyer asking Hurley if he's nuts, which that's what I would I would love to see a supercut of that is like how many times people reference Hurley being crazy or nuts or anything like that. Like if somebody could put that okay. together for me, I would I would love to watch that because like it has yeah. to happen quite a lot. <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hurley says how they're going to jumpstart the car. They'll push it down the hill, pop the clutch, and get it started. Sawyer says that that won't happen. All they'll do is crash into the rocks. Even Jin tells him not to try it. But Hurley insists he knows what he's doing. And when Sawyer asks why Charlie is there, he says that he's riding shotgun. Sawyer, although doubtful, agrees. And Charlie says victory or death. What? Like... (laughs) yeah right <laughs> like again that plays back to what charlie was or you know what hurley and charlie were talking about before where charlie's just like oh i'm afraid i'm gonna die i'm afraid i'm gonna die and then and then char or uh hurley's like um i want you to do this thing with me and you know what you may die like so why <laughs> would you funny. agree with that to agree to that yeah the only thing i can think is like at this point charlie's
1: like well if i do die at least i'll know how i die because f you desmond <laughs> <laughs>
0: fair enough
1: (laughs) he's not getting any answers from desmond like hurley's trying to do something he's like well you know maybe i'll just uh i'll i'll
0: figure this out on my own then (laughs) fair enough we then see them pushing the van as it starts down the hill it's picking up speed and charlie becomes worried while hurley is chanting to himself that there is no curse and you make your own luck He then pops the clutch and the car starts and the eight track begins playing Shambhala by three dog night. The song from the beginning as Charlie and Hurley celebrate great moment and a great callback. I think it is. Yeah. I
1: mean, uh, as we've talked about uh, at length already, you know, it's like a very lazy thing. Like, Oh, you know, in the car, that's just like, you know, the moment he had in his flashback, the same song is going to play as well just to really drive that, you know, moment home. Um, thankfully it's like a great moment though. So, you know, you can't be upset about it too much. Um, but yeah, it is very funny. Like, yeah, this is just really gonna, you know, we're going to solidify this as much as we can and just like, you know, drive that point home thematically.
0: (laughs) And it's funny because, I mean, I'll get to it in a moment or two, but you know what, actually, let me, let me say it here. Uh, Sawyer shocked. Jin is happy as well. Uh, Sawyer, Jin, and Vincent run down the hill to meet them before jumping in for a ride. And we see a montage of gin, Charlie and Sawyer returning to the beach. Gin gives son a flower. Charlie talks to Claire and Sawyer brings beer to the pantry, but can't bring himself to share it back on Hurley in the van. He's very happy. Sawyer is sitting and watching the couples while drinking alone. And it's this whole sort of montage thing. And I've talked about it before how not Not really a fan of it in terms of Lost, especially when it comes to a pop culture song instead of the score playing over it. For some reason, maybe just because this was such a happy episode, again, it worked, but I also think that it worked because Michael Giacchino incorporated Shambhala into the score which I believe that composition is called Shambhala because he incorporated the music of that song into the orchestral score of the show. So I talk about it quite a bit, how like on Lost, like on Grey's Anatomy, I love when they do like montages, like with pop culture songs. Cause like it fits to that show on Lost. I don't think it fits so much, but like in this moment, I think they found like the perfect balance of the pop culture song with the orchestral score with the montage.
1: Agreed. Yeah. That moment when Shambla turns into Michael Giacchino's score is so great. Like, it's just like, (laughs) uh, like Michael Giacchino's just a genius. And without him, the show would not be the same. Um, yeah, just like such a nice thing. And I've always loved how lost, you know, barely used, uh, you know, non, Giacchino music uh to to you know uh punctuate like its its moments but um you know when it does like they're mostly pretty great you know like lots of Patsy Cline Kate you know that's like very it's almost tied into Kate's theme by Giacchino at that point it's <clears throat> used so often but um yeah I also just love how it's always like a character listening to the music in the show or you know like it's somehow incorporated it's not just like played over the scene like you said in Grey's Anatomy that's almost exclusively how they do it um yeah like the music uh kind of a tangent but yeah the music is just so good that they choose um but you know because they have giacchino they don't need so much of it so um the moments when they do use it like in this episode uh really stand out and and it's pretty cool
0: Absolutely. And by the way, music tangents, we especially praising Michael Giacchino, we go off on those quite a bit because we, you know, it's often said and it actually in the commentary style episodes that have happened on this show, it's a common complaint from the uh, from the guests that have been on the fact that you do lose something. And I remember the writers and producers saying that at a certain point on if you You know, like they always said there was like X number, like, you know, and I say this every time there was like whatever number of characters, main characters on the show every season. And then like, say it was like 11 and then like the 12th character was the island. And then like the 13th character was Michael Giacchino's score. And they would always follow that up by saying, and if you don't believe that's true, try watching an episode with the sound off. And having done that, I can 100% tell you it plays a huge part in the show.
1: Oh, yeah, by far. You know, I can just listen to those soundtracks and feel so many things, you know, like related to Lost, unrelated to Lost. It's just like beautiful music overall.
0: Um, I know people who do just listen to those soundtracks. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) It's very soothing. Elsewhere, Kate is hiking at night. Locke and Saeed aren't far behind. Saeed asks why Kate didn't ask them to help with uh, with Jack, and she says they don't know where to look and they aren't motivated, and they don't really have a reason to trek across the island once again. Locke tells her she's wrong, but not about motivation, but about where to look. He says he has a compass bearing that he's hoping will lead right to the others. Saeed isn't so convinced as he sarcastically chimes in that it was found via sunlight on Echo's stick which somebody mentioned this and i think i cut it out of a previous episode like i like that they didn't get this and i said to me it just seemed like such a twin peaks thing yeah <laughs> like where th- there was an episode of twin Pe- i correct I'm, i don't know if you know twin peaks very well but uh some, you knew, you or someone else correct me if i'm wrong where uh Cooper was just doing something and he's just like, okay, so I had a dream and I think it's going to lead to this. And if this happens, I think that'll lead to this or whatever. And like, he just like starts shooting a gun at things or something. And like, it's just so random where he's just like, I think this will like, you know, I happen to look at this one thing and it's going to answer all of our questions if I do this other thing that I just put together in my mind. And like, that's what I always thought (laughs) of in regards to the bearing that they found on Echo's stick. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I am a Twin
1: Peaks fan. Yeah, this is very reminiscent of that. And it's like, if you're going to have like weird dream logic stuff, I love that they just go for it and make a joke out of it. Like, sure, why not? Like, And especially where Locke is at this point, it's like, yeah, he'll believe anything.
0: Um, (laughs) No, it's great. Locke then wants to know what she's up to, and suddenly gunfire is heard. But Kate yells not to shoot, they just want to talk. Danielle Rousseau cautiously enters before Kate tells her that they want her help. They're heading to the others and uh, want someone who knows the island. Danielle asks why she... Would have an interest, and Kate says that a young woman helped her escape. Her name is Alex, and she's pretty sure she's Danielle's daughter.
1: Nice, yeah. So, what I, I was gonna say earlier, but I waited till this moment, um, is I just love how Rousseau is so tied to Hurley's story. Um, that earlier, when we were both like, "Oh, we had no idea who this was going to be when we first watched it," um, we should have just because, like, like the numbers and Rousseau and. Uh, like she's in most of his flashback episodes and there's just something like they don't really interact that often, but you know, it's kind of like not a Hurley episode without Russo in a way.
0: Um, I don't know. Do you
1: feel that way? Like I've actually
0: never thought about it until you just pointed it out, but that's 100% true. Like it's not like she's not in every one of his episodes, obviously,
1: but like that numbers episode is so iconic and you know, she's so tied to that. and, And I feel like, yeah, their stories just kind of parallel each other just because of the numbers and the broadcast and everything like that. Um, They don't even
0: interact in this episode, but like, but she's, it's like the obligatory Hurley episode. Let's throw Rousseau in there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which
0: I really like. I think that's really cool. I never noticed that before, (laughs) but also,
1: yeah, I just, I, I love Rousseau. I love when she pops up and is just like, why should I help you? And you know, like she's just always looking out for herself, which is great because um, people who help others in the show usually don't fare too well. Um, But yeah, she's just out there and, you know, Uh, you know, Kate has the one thing that she would actually want to pursue, which is her daughter. Um, So yeah, it makes total sense. And I love how she's just like, all right, like, let's do this thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's weird though, because like, has there been a time like Russo? I mean, yeah, I get it. Like Russo was by herself for 16 years. She realistically doesn't have a reason to trust anybody, but have, like she has steered the survivors wrong. I think more than the survivors have steered her wrong at this point. So it's kind of weird that she's just like, why would I help you? You know, it's like, you're the one who like betrayed them and stole the baby at the end of season one. Like realistically, they sh- they should be asking, well, should we really ask Danielle? She's it's Island true. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: That's very true. <laughs> um, Yeah. I think they trust her enough that she like knows the Island better than them. Um, which is obviously what they want her for primarily. Um, but yeah, that's, that's so true. Like, yeah, she has definitely led them astray more than once already.
0: (laughs) If we don't have anything else, why don't you, uh, Dan, let them know your social media and all the, all the various ways that they can get in contact with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my Twitter handle is at DW underscore toy. Um, I'm very responsive on that. Um, you can also follow my lost page. Um, it's just, uh, it's called flashbacks, uh, flash forwards and flash sideways. Um, yeah, I'm sure you can find it if you just look that up. Um, don't post too often there, but you know, just a little thing I did after the finale that I've kept up with. Um, and then also I, uh, run a magazine online called syndicated. Um, and you can find that at syndicatedmagazine.com. Um, essentially what it is an outlet for people to write uh, nonfiction, personal essays uh, that are somehow related to TV. Um, So if you're a fellow Lost fan, as I assume you are if you're listening to this, um, feel free to write some crazy Lost stuff for me if you want, or uh, literally any other TV show um, that somehow relates to your life in a personal way. Um, And I'd be happy to publish it. Um, Yeah, so I think those are the three best things. That's really awesome. Yeah, also, Paul should write something
0: for it hint hint (laughs) (laughs) i will have to i will have to think because no you know what i will i will have to think about that because now i'm intrigued if i can figure out how something relates to my life okay dan thank you so much for being on the show not the last time we will be hearing from you on lost with friends i can guarantee everyone that um it was a fantastic first episode hope you enjoyed yourself
1: I did, very much so. It was awesome. Thanks for having
0: me. Oh, of course. You are always welcome back. And I will end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck.
1: Hey, this is Jorge. Thanks for listening to Lost with Friends. Clock shelves, a great way to pass the time.